Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Cows. Justice, Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of racism. Today's date, Tuesday, February 17th, 2015. So I have been told uh, for folks who have been listening at least for the last few weeks or so, uh, we had Mr. Melvin Poole on the program uh, about two weeks ago, right at the beginning of the month. And we were discussing some of the previous uh, radio interviews that he had done uh, with our guest for today's program. And uh, he said you should reach out to him and see if he would uh, be willing to come on the program and have an exchange of views. I did contact him and he was willing to come and hang out with us this week, this evening for a little while. He won't be with us for the full program. Uh, so if you have questions uh, that you would like to ask before he departs, make sure you get your hand up uh, early. Uh, we will make an effort to make time uh, for you on the air as well. Uh, our guest for the evening, he is co-owner and managing partner of Our Three Sons Broadcasting in South Carolina. Uh, he hosts Straight Talk, a 30-minute public affairs and issues program. Uh, in 2014, he was given South Carolina Broadcasters Association's Master Award. Uh, real pleasure to have him on the program. Looking forward to talking about some of the current events uh, and issues in the state of South Carolina, notwithstanding the weather. Our guest, Mr. Manning Kimmel. Uh, Mr. Kimmel, you with us, sir? I am. Good evening. How are you? Uh, we are hanging in, as I said. Glad to have you on the program and looking forward to a great uh, exchange um, for our listeners, I guess, who might be unfamiliar uh, with who you are and the work that you do. Anything that you think would be helpful for folks to know about you before we get started? No, I, I think uh, you pretty well said it. I've been in broadcasting my entire adult life, 40-plus years, uh, being in business for myself. Uh, I do a daily talk show that has been on the air, and you'll like this, Gus, five days a week, 52 weeks a year for over 30 years. Wow. And uh, it's a half-hour show every day, and it's a public affairs program, and we talk uh, to all kinds of people. Melvin Poole is just one of the... Uh, personalities that we have on it's a two-way talk show we don't take calls because we don't have enough time to uh, get everything discussed in just a 30-minute format so i can i appreciate and understand what you're doing outstanding dedication 30 years of broadcasting uh for folks who have not seen you you are a white man is that accurate that's exactly right okay 
um, this program, we uh, discuss issues dealing with race as well as politics, a lot of other things. Uh, but we try right. to cover things dealing with racial issues as well. Uh, mm -hmm. When Mr. Poole was with us uh, about two weeks ago, uh, I had listened to uh, one of the interviews that you all did. I believe it was 2013. And during the course of the discussion, you all talked about Reverend Al Sharpton. I think he was preparing for their march on uh, Washington uh, later on right. in August of 2013. And I was asking him about the, the exchange that you all had. And during our visit, Mr. Poole, he said he was talking about you. I uh, asked him if he thought that you might be a racist, if he thought that might be possible. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, I think Manning Kimmel is working very hard to show the world that he's not a racist. Direct quote. I could have played the sound clip. And I said, wow, that is fascinating. I would like to talk to this guy. What Before I even get any further, what, what are your thoughts about that, Mr. Poole, saying that you're working hard to show the world that you're not a racist? <laughs> Well, when I, when I saw that quotation on your website, I called Melvin Poole this afternoon. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it didn't exactly come out the way that I had expected it to come out. He said, what I was trying to make clear is that I, you know, I didn't think you were a racist at all. And I said, okay, so that's a compliment, right? He said, yeah, okay. Because I said, when I read it in writing, it didn't really come out that way to me. And he said, no, 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 no. So... I felt good with that. Okay. Well, I have, I have a recording, and I just listened to it today, and that is exactly what he said. Oh, I, I, I don't doubt that. I, I find it hard that. to believe that it would, it would be, I don't think he's a racist at all when he said exactly. I think he's working very hard to show the world that he's not a racist. And, in fact, he also said, I think he has tendencies. When I asked him if he thought you might be a racist, and he said, I think he has tendencies. Uh, do you... Well, let me, let, let, me, let me explain something that, that I believe very strongly. I think everybody, black and white, has tendencies and has a little bit of racism in their bones. I don't care what your color is, what your denomination is, what your ethnicity is. Everybody has some built-in racism towards them. Now, some people have lots of racism. Other people have tiny bits of racism. But one of the big problems I believe that we have in this country is that we don't look at racism as a two-way street. And as a result, fingers are already, always being pointed at the other guy rather than pointing them also at yourself. Because if we're ever going to solve the issues of racism, we both need, everybody needs to agree that I am part of the collective problem. I see. So if everybody has a what you call a little racism in them, has a black yeah. person ever practiced racism against you? No. Oh, and okay. I have never practiced <laughs> racism. And I personally have never practiced racism against a black person. But that doesn't mean down deep in the side of me that I haven't had a thought this way and you haven't had a thought that way. And being very honest and being transparent, if you really want to deal with the issue, you have to admit that at times everybody has had one kind of a negative thought or another that they may not have verbalized. Others did verbalize it, but everybody is part of the collective problem. Okay. Well, I have a totally different uh, perspective definition on the term racist uh, and the term racism. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It is not about having a bad thought about someone or thinking poorly about someone. That's not my definition of racism at all. Racism yeah. is a verb. It is a action. You have to do something in terms of mistreating someone uh, on the basis of skin color. I'm not aware uh, in South Carolina, anywhere in the world, in fact, I'm not aware of black people being able to mistreat white people to stop them from getting resources, access to employment, uh, access to education, stop them from being able to attend Clemson or Winthrop University. I'm not aware of that. Are you aware of that? Well, I, I wasn't around when those things were going on. So What things were going uh, on? I, well, you're talking about people being blocked from admission to Winthrop University. I wasn't no, here. I'm talk- I said specifically, I'm not aware of black people because you said it's a two-way street. I'm not aware of black well, people being you, able to Your definition, white people. You're, you, you, you just pointed out a minute ago that you and I differ in terms of how we approach this whole issue of racism. Exactly. My problem, is, my, my, my feeling is, is that neither one of us are doing enough to understand the other. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. The, you deviated from my question. My question no, was, not, I have not. are you You're not listening. No, you're, I am you, listening you, to you. You are putting your... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. If you're not going to listen to me, then I won't get on the phone. I heard what you said. My question specifically was, are you aware in South Carolina or anywhere else of black people being able to mistreat white people, stopping them from getting resources, employment, being able to go to school. That's what I asked. And you didn't answer that question. Yes, I did. I said, I don't know. I I haven't been here for generations to say that, to know that in my own personal life down here in 30 years, I'm not aware of that. No, I'm not. That's what I, that, and you, you are aware that there's a long record of white people blocking black people's access to everything that I absolutely just, okay that's what I'm talking absolutely about. that's not a two well, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the laws that were put in place back in the 1960s to stop that stuff I got you yes sir exactly and what you just said that's what I mean that to me totally contradicts what you're saying about it's a two-way street there's no record of there being a two-way street well, with regards to racism again, there's a clear you're, record you're, of a one-way street of racism unless you have some evidence and you don't you said you can't think of any time where black people did this <laughs> Uh, we had that I can, see, I, can, I, I can see what you're doing with this show. What am I doing? And, and you, 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 really, you really are not interested in hearing another perspective on race relations and how I think we can move forward in race relations, which really should be the ultimate goal of everybody, rather than sitting here and talking about this person being a racist and that person being a racist. Why aren't we sitting and having a dialogue about how can we learn to be better towards one another? How can we learn more about one another? How can we be proactive in trying to solve these racial issues? Like, you don't seem to be interested in hearing that. I actually want to make sure I clarify. I don't think I said at any point during our discussion that you or anybody else is a racist. Uh, and that's something that I try to I be very... Hang, yes, you did. You said you just want to point fingers about saying who is a racist, this person is a racist. Nobody said that. I didn't say you were a racist or anyone mm-hmm. else. Moving forward, the case with George Stinney, that came up, that would be a clear example of white people practicing racism, in my opinion. Uh, the young 14-year-old who was executed uh, some 70 years ago in South Carolina, you heard about that case, uh, I'm sure, uh, did you have any any thoughts or reflections since there was so much attention uh, around that about, I guess, December, a few weeks back? You 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 may find this hard to believe, but I, I'm really not that familiar with that case. I really? really am not. Now, I am familiar. I am familiar with the 
Friendship Nine. I am familiar with the incident out of South Point High School following Friendship Nine ceremonies, mm-hmm. but I am not. I, I I I'm not that familiar with what you're talking about. The other wow, case. that was all over the place. But okay, I'll take you on that. The Friendship Nine case. You you said you are aware of that, correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. With with that case, that also got a lot. I feel like the George Denny got more attention than that. But okay, the Friendship Nine. Uh, we talked about that with Mr. Poole a couple yeah. weeks back. And he said that with these black males who were, again, working to counter racism in South Carolina, he felt that since they were wrongly arrested and all of this and it caused them problems, some of them with the arrest records that they had staying in South Carolina, that it shouldn't have just been, you know, the banquet and awards and let's get together and have tea and a ceremony and all that. He felt that there also should have been some compensation uh, for the wrong that was inflicted on these non-black males. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I never heard Melvin say that, but I'm sure that uh, that's his opinion, and you, you're not going to misquote him. I can tell you here in, that com- in this community, I never heard that come up anywhere. It wasn't in any of the media reports. It certainly did not come out of any of the conversations that I had with various members of the Friendship Nine. Um, with all the, the, the positive community activity that surrounded this big event and the... the uh, play and the book and everything else that was developed, there was never an indication about that. What, what these gentlemen wanted more than anything was for them to be recognized for what they did for the civil rights movement and to have uh, the court not expunged. They did not want their records expunged. They wanted, the, they wanted a recognition that the law was unjust that disallowed them from being able to be served a hamburger and french fries back there in 1961 at the McCrory's lunch counter. And you know the story. They were, they were hauled off to jail. All of them refused to pay bail. And that's where the famous civil rights slogan of jail, no bail, came from. They were subjected to 30 days of hard labor. Uh, and there's no question as a result of all of that, the civil rights movement was able to move forward and, quite frankly, uh, accomplish the things that all of us uh, wanted to see happen and finally, you know, are part of our, of our society. Um, but I never heard a word from anybody about them wanting compensation. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they haven't said that to their family members or whoever, but that, I've never heard that. And I'm in the media business, so I right. haven't heard that. Mr. Poole said the same thing that they he hadn't heard them. I don't know if they said it or not, but he also said that he hasn't heard them saying a whole lot about compensation. But he said his own personal opinion. He thought that that would be the just thing to do uh, to have some sort of compensation since these people did actually have to serve some jail time. And this clearly uh, was not a just law in terms of what happened to them at that time. Do you think that would be correct in terms of, hey, acknowledging that, hey, a wrong was done and we want to try to make this right to have some sort of restitution uh, for these victims? I think that, quite frankly, is up to the, to the individuals themselves. You have to understand that these gentlemen now are all in their senior years. Right. They come from a different generation um, than younger people today. Uh, you know, we're, we're in a, we live in a world today where everybody feels that they have to be paid for everything. These, these gentlemen, to me, it seems it's more important to them to have gone through the recognition uh, the formal, the formal court proceeding that uh, declared the law unjust, to have hundreds of people there, to have worldwide media there, 
to have the book that was developed by Kimberly Johnson and then the play that was developed by Kim and her partner, Bruce McKagan, and all the community outpouring that, uh, that, that resulted for that you know, roughly two-week period of time, I, I think that was a lot more important to them than getting some kind of a check. But that's just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I still feel like you're, you're pushing off to them, but you said that you feel like a lot of young people now that they're about getting paid and what have you. With the uh, South Point High School incident, for folks who don't know, this I think was right at the beginning of the month. I think it was the day Mr. Poole was on the program, unless my memory is in error. But it was a high school in South Carolina where I guess some racist, I assume, uh, they went and spray painted uh, on this huge rock out in front of the school. Happy nigger month, KKK. Uh, has there been any any resolution? Have they found uh, the suspects or the perpetrators in this case? To my knowledge, they have not. But I think it's important that your audience know uh, that when the when the school saw that rock out there that morning, the next morning, students themselves went out there and repainted that rock and got all that trash off of there. Um, I think that says as much good about an evil prank that was done by whoever uh, as anything. And I was, I was very happy to see that in Rock Hill, and I, I don't know whether you're aware of this, Gus, but uh, Rock Hill has a No Room for Racism Commission that was established about, I don't want to say 15 years or more ago. And they have a, a, a group of people that is regularly meeting you know, doing various initiatives throughout the community, trying to improve dialogue, trying to prove understanding between people. But when this when this uh, uh, incident happened at a Rock Hill High School, uh, I mean, at South, South Point High School, excuse me, uh, and when those kids got out there the next morning and just immediately, nobody had to tell them. The kids in that school saw that, and they were as disgusted about that as anything. And to me, that says, golly day, you know what? We're making some progress in this world. And I was, I was glad to see that. It was an ugly event. It never should have happened, but it did. But the response to it, I think, was even more important. Hmm. I'm not, uh, <laughs> that doesn't impress me very much, but okay. Well, uh, unfortunately, this, Gus, you don't live down here. And you live in New York. I'm down here in South Carolina. I don't Carolina. live in New York. I don't live in New York. Well, <laughs> well I couldn't find out much, much about you on the web, so today but wherever you live you don't live here in south carolina correct correct okay so i think if you understood our community a little bit more and to see what the reaction was that i tried to explain i think your attitude might be a little bit different but that's okay you're entitled to your opinion as well <laughs> thank you kindly are you aware of the yeah. situation with bud uh walpole uh the football coach uh down in south carolina I guess he was fired and then rehired. Uh, there was a controversy about uh, a ritual that they did after their football games uh, involving uh, bursting a watermelon and painting uh, some pictures. Under. You, you know the event that I'm talking about? I, I, I don't know much more about it than what you just said. I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to sports. I'm sorry. Okay. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't paying, I don't think people cover this as a sports thing. I think this came up more as a, as this is another incident, perhaps of racism. That was the reason I paid attention to it. But obviously I don't follow Mm -hmm. South Carolina high school uh, sporting uh, events Um, with uh, I'm sure because you all have an article on your website uh, with the radio station uh, down at W R H I uh, the situation with Ben Tillman uh, and them having Tillman hall at both uh, Mm -hmm. Winthrop university and Clemson. Uh, former right. governor uh, down in South Carolina. Yep. Do uh, you have right. an opinion on whether or not those buildings should be renamed or the statues removed? Mm-hmm. 
right? Oh, I'm very familiar with that, yes. Do you have an opinion on whether the building should be renamed or any of the statues to Mr. Tillman being removed? Well, you know, I think if, if, uh, if that were to happen, it would take, uh, you know, whatever a, a groundswell of, of uh, a vocal outpouring of uh, I, I was asking really about your personal opinion. Like, do you think it should be renamed or the statues removed or anything like that? I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Um, hmm. I really don't. Wow. No. <laughs> do you think yeah. ben, Bill, ben Tillman was a racist? I don't know enough about Ben Tillman other than to know that he was a slave owner. I mean, I don't know, I don't know the history of Ben Tillman. And I'm not one to just jump into making opinions without knowing all of the facts. So I don't know. Wow. Okay, I'm not going to offer one. That, uh, I'm suspicious of that response just because, as I said, you all have an okay. article written by Andrew Keel on your website. Uh, and you've lived mm -hmm. in South Carolina for decades now. Uh, I have yeah. a difficult time believing that you don't know very much information about Ben Tillman, or you don't know enough about Ben Tillman to decide whether or not you think he was. Your phone, your phone line's breaking up here, Gus. Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, you're, I, yeah, I got you now, but you're going in and out on me. Okay, so, I'll restate what I, I just I don't said. have an opinion. I don't well, have I, to have I heard that. I do not have just, to have an opinion, Hang on, hang on, on a second, hang on, hang, hang, on on second. Okay? hang on one second, hang on one second, hang on one second. I said I have a difficult time. I've lost you, Gus. Are you there? Hello. Can you hear me, Hello? Uh, Mr. Kimmel? Yeah, and I just got you back. Okay. We'll try one more time. What I said is, you all have an article. I'm lost on... again. Can you hear me okay? Am I still breaking up? Yeah, you're still breaking up. But go ahead. I've got you right now. Okay. What I'm I lost said... again. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you could be practicing racism here and just not allowing me to get my response out. Oh, come on. Basically, what I come said on. is that... I tell you what, Gus, you, you get on an airplane, you come on down on, here, I'm, I'm and I'll, I'll, put talking, you, I'll put you live talking, on my sir. radio station. I'm okay? I would love to do it, but I'm talking right now. All right, I'm come on down, then we'll see who's going to be playing the race game. Allow me to get my response out, please. Thank you. What I said is... I'm just trying to hear you, Gus. Are you there? I'll have an article on your page for your radio station about Mr. Tillman. I find it difficult to believe that you don't know enough about him to decide whether or not he is a racist. That's just to me is not believable. At any rate, <laughs> I will move to my next question. Yes, uh, yes I tell you, you what, uh, <laughs> you do you, a pretty good job of uh, trying to put people in a corner and make them into people that they aren't. And, you know, uh, that's not my style of interviewing. I try to interview to uh, inform people. You are trying to interview into pigeonholing people into a corner. Now, the fact that I don't have an opinion about Ben Tillman is no reflection upon the fact that I am one way or the other. In the I don't whole issue of racism. about you not having an opinion. I think what I said specifically is that you not being informed about Mr. Tillman, Excuse what me? you're saying, Excuse does me, not Gus. seem Gus. reasonable <laughs> to me at <laughs> any rate. I will move on to my next question. No worries about it. Uh, the the naming specifically of Tillman Hall at Winthrop, and I'm looking at the article on your website. I mean, I don't know. Hey, Gus, Gus, uh, you know, Gus, let, let me explain something to you. Hang Gus, on, you're interrupting. You're no, interrupting. no, Gus, yeah, you're interrupting no, me. You're interrupting me because I was moving to my next question. I said that specifically. I'm moving to my next question, which is what I'm going to do. On your website, talking about Winthrop University, and again, this is Andrew Keel. I assume you know some of these folks. Uh, it says, 
a self-identifying conservative, Davis said the school has a moral responsibility to change the name from Tillman's namesake and the states intentionally changed the name during the cauldron of the civil rights movement in 1962. Now, I'm just this is what's on your website saying when this building was renamed to Tillman Hall. Do you think that renaming was an act? Yes, are you there? I'm losing it again. Did you, you hear the there? question? Did you hear the question? I, I have not. I heard part of what you're talking about on my web page, but I didn't hear the rest of it. Okay, I'll try it again. I said basically on your website, I'll paraphrase on your website. Uh, Andrew Keel is, is doing an interview and basically he's saying that uh, from Richard Davis, one of the folks that he talked to who was an alumnus at Winthrop, that right. they decided to rename this building on the campus of Winthrop Tillman Hall in 1962. And he felt that that was done deliberately. And my question was, do you think that renaming was an act of racism? Well, I, I, I know you don't want to hear this as an, as an answer or response from me, but I was not here in 1962, okay. and I do not know, I, I don't have the facts, I don't have enough about this, I don't know. Just okay. because it's on my webpage, there's a thousands of pages of information on our webpage, and I don't read them all every day. Absolutely, absolutely, okay. absolutely, you. no worries on that. Um, to, uh, as a white person, I have enjoyed asking uh, all of the white guests that we have come on the program uh, there is a quote uh, from an article that I'm sure you don't know. The quote reads, white people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism. Uh, and I've been asking all of our white guests if they think that's a truthful statement. Uh, do you think that statement is true? White people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism. I think I understand that. And I would say, yes, there's, there's certainly an element of truth to that. I don't think anybody who is of a white race is proud of, let's say, footage back from the 1960s when uh, peaceful marchers were walking in Selma and all of a sudden they're hitting with uh, clubs and water cannons and dogs. I mean, nobody is proud of that. Uh, nobody, because I grew up when Martin Luther King was uh, a huge figure in this country's history, and I can remember how saddened uh, I personally and a number of others of my friends were the night that the news came through about uh, him being assassinated. I watched part of my own hometown city of Wilmington, Delaware, go up in flames as a result of that. I mean, how, how could you not be uh, moved by what struggle uh, people went through in the 1960s and 70s to try to achieve basic human rights? I mean, I got that. I mean, yes, totally. Hmm. You, would you say that you personally uh, are greatly and sincerely pained about racism? You mean to tell me that you don't think that, uh, um, that because you don't know me, you've never met me, but uh, that I was not moved by the the marches of the, the civil rights movement and, and the absolute atrocities that were bestowed upon uh, the black protesters by uh, the white people back then, and I've been, the mistreatment they received, absolutely. Absolutely. It just as I would have been had I been here in the 1960s when the Friendship Nine were hauled off to, uh, to jail for trying to get a hamburger. I mean, sure. Why wouldn't I be? Hmm. <laughs> I don't... Seems like there are a lot of white people who are not, but okay. Um, 
That's interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Um, I want to check to make sure we have any questions from uh, our listeners since you're not here. Yeah, I'll hit our listeners, see if they have any questions. Uh, since he's not being going to be with us the full program, if y'all could just get your questions so we can try and get all three folks that dialed in. Uh, the caller at 7947, did you have a question for Mr. Kimmel? Your line should be open. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay, good evening. Um, good evening, sir. Thank you for coming on the program. I, I just kind of find it strange that the last comment that you made, you know, when someone's deeply troubled about uh, a situation or a struggle, uh, you got to get right to your question because he's not going to be with us very long. Okay, well, the question I had is that you said you were deeply claimed by the struggles of the 1960s and 70s, but when he does ask you a question about uh, this person, uh, you said, um, I, I don't care one way or the other. If you knew that guy was a slave owner and you knew he did whatever, A, B, and C, I, didn't, I don't understand why that would not uh, pay you. That's my question. Thank you. Well, that's a good question. And, and my response is, is very much the same. Without knowing the history, the entire history of Ben Tillman and what he did, what he didn't do, what his whole background is, how they how the name Tillman Hall became, you know, on the name of Clemson and Winthrop University. I mean, I just, you know, I, don't, I try not to go off half-cocked. I'd like to know what the entire background is before I render any kind of a personal opinion, and I don't have that background. I know. Uh, the caller, 6036, did you have a question for Mr. Kimmel? Oh, hello. Seeing as how white supremacy is a global phenomenon, I wanted to... Uh-oh. Did we lose you? I've lost it. I'm not hearing anything. Are you still there, sir? 6036. Did you have a question? I'm not hearing you. Hello? Uh, six zero three six. Are you there? I'm not. Hello. Uh, let's see. Six zero three six. Are you there? Calling to Kimmel yeah, in private rest. Sorry, we can't take the call. Please leave. Okay, Mr. Kimmel. I lost Mr. Kimmel. I don't know if he hung up uh, deliberately or if uh, we just lost the connection. But I'm. Uh, I'll see if we can get him back. Uh, with us, but six zero three six. I, I was hearing you at the beginning, and then I was not hearing you. Hello, I can hear you. Okay, we can hear you now. I was going to. I was asking if he thinks that uh, um, the white South Africans are. I'm dialing him back now. That's what the ring is. There we go. Is that you, Gus? Yes, sir. Okay. I uh, I was couldn't hear our listener, but I, I can hear him now. He was getting his question out. Go ahead, sir. Uh, seeing as uh, how white supremacy is a global phenomenon, I wanted to ask, this is a question I always ask, do you believe the Europeans in South Africa are biologically African, that they have a right to claim African identity? Yes, you'll have to repeat the question. I, I didn't, didn't understand it. Uh, he said, uh, do you believe that the white people in South Africa or Europeans in South Africa, do you believe that they have a right to claim African identity? Was that the question, sir? Yes. Okay. Yes, that was the question, Mr. Kimmel. 
do, do the white people in South Africa have a right to claim what is it again? African identity. African identity. Oh, because they're not native. Because they're not native to the country. You're saying. Is that the question? Yeah, because they uh, basically robbed the land, subjugated people, created no, tribal warfare. Do you believe that? I, I think you. Uh, I think you. You make a very good point. Yes, I would agree. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the caller at eight one seven nine eight one seven nine. Did you have a question for Mister Kimmel? Your line should be open. Yes, ma'am. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just have one question to Mr. Kimball. Do you believe, or who do you believe is most confused about racism, white people or non-white people? I think, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, my personal opinion, I think that we're all confused about the whole racism issue. I don't think we're trying to meet each other halfway on anything on most things that are out there. And, you know, I, I, I just don't think that we have progressed anywhere near to where Martin Luther King would have wanted us to be at this time. Uh, it just, you know, the, the laws, and I've said this to, to Mr. Poole and to others, you know, all these civil rights laws that are out there today have done a, a pretty good job on bringing people together in the workplace, you know, from 8 o'clock until 5 o'clock. It's after five o'clock that we all go our own separate ways, and we don't we, we just don't spend any time with each other. And as a result, we we haven't taken that next step to a better understanding that would come if we found ways to socialize more together, uh, have more time together in churches, et cetera, et cetera. So, I I really truly believe that. The whole issue of racism requires both sides of the street to take a good look at themselves and say, you know, I could, do be, I could be doing better than I am in trying to help improve race relations. And the last question I have, I don't think I heard I've I don't know if you said it or not, but what was your definition of racism? I did not. I was never asked what my definition of racism is. Uh, I know that uh, Gus was giving me. What is my definition of racism? That's, yes. that's a very good yes. question. Let me let me think for a second how I would probably phrase that. I would guess it would be something along the lines of treating people that do not look like you differently than you would want to be treated. To be very simple. I mean, if somebody, if I'm going to treat somebody differently than I would treat somebody in my own family, then I'm not doing a very good job. And I think that, that, that I would, if I was treating somebody of a different color than myself differently than I would treat somebody in my own family, then I think I would probably call that a tendency towards being a racist. Hmm. Right on. Okay, thanks for taking my call, Doug. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. The caller is six four nine two six four nine two. Did you have a question for Mr. Kimmel? I did. Um, thank you, um, Mr. Kimmel. Um, do you consider yourself a Christian? I'm sorry, I can't. What's she saying? Do you consider yourself a Christian? Hello, can you hear me? You're, you're coming in and out, so Hello? I. I, I I'm there now. Can you hear Try me now? Again. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, do you consider yourself a Christian, Mr. Kimball? Oh, absolutely. 
Okay, and and I know earlier I, I didn't hear the whole conversation, but you, they just um, uh, asked you oh, about like um, restitution for um, the um, um, the gentlemen that were you know actually severely harmed, and you know that restitution actually goes along with forgiveness, right? That um, yes. and it's a biblical principle in both the Old and the New Testament. And I'm, I'm curious as to why we don't have more Christians standing up for restitution when things like this happen. But in certain cases, it, it, they do get restitution, like Israel and the Japanese. But the African-American, the black people that are injured right here in this country, it rarely happens. Why do you think that is? I, I, <laughs> the, all, I can, all I can do is speak to the Friendship Nine situation that we talked about earlier. Uh, and those gentlemen, uh, to my knowledge, have never asked for any kind of restitution. Uh, and I'm sure that if there was a hue and cry from them for some kind of restitution, that you know maybe something might happen. But I, there just hasn't been any any request for it. And I just don't think that's what's important to them. What's important to them is what what has transpired. Well, but the biblical principle is not that you wait for the person to ask. It's that when you realize you've wronged this person, you give them restitution. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, again, I, 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 I have nothing else to add to what I said. I think if the, if, uh, the Friendship Nine membership, uh, if that was something important to them and they wanted to do it and made the request, then, you know, who knows what might have happened. But I, I, I really believe that is up to them to make that decision. But the Bible says it's not. It's up to the person okay. that did the wrong. You remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus in the New Testament, and it's back in Numbers in the Old Testament, if you want to look it up. Great. Uh, the caller at uh, 1749. This is going to have to be the last one, buddy. We've been doing this about 40 minutes, so i got I got an early date tomorrow morning. So, Caller at 1749, okay. did you have a question for Mr. Kimmel? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. How are you? How's, how are you, Gus? How's the guest? How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you tonight? I'm all right. Um, I had another question for you, but um, just to piggyback off the last question, and it's, it's a real quick one. Um, you said you are a Christian, right? Uh, well, yeah, I consider myself that, yes. Okay, so um, what color is God? Is God black, white? What color is he? I think God is all colors. He's, God is he's all colors. Yeah. Okay, so when you, when you go to heaven, you expect to see a rainbow? I hope so. I hope I get there to see that. Okay, no problem. That's cool. That's all the question I had. Thank you. Okay. okay. Great. All right. Thanks for uh, sharing a bit of your evening. We had some other folks that called in. That was why I said it'd be cool if we could do an hour, but whatever. Uh, Mr. Poole yeah. did say that you uh, you had had him and some other black people on your uh, station down in South Carolina for Black History Month. It is February. Uh, I would love to uh, come hang out on your program uh, to continue. You, you tell me when you want to come, and you, you tell me when you want to come, Gus, and we'll schedule it, and you can sit there in a the restaurant with me, and we'll do the show. In the rest, you do your show in a restaurant. Oh yeah, I do. The only criteria I have for my show, Gus, which is different from yours, is I don't do any shows over the telephone. 
all my guests are right across the table from me so we can look into each other's eyes and try to figure out who each other are. So as I told Melvin Poole, anytime you're down this neck of the woods, I'd love to have you. Okay. We will put that, uh, file that away. If I can get across the country to South Carolina, I will give you a jingle and we will see if we can make it happen. Uh, Mr. Manning Kimmel, you all can check out the uh, radio station that he uh, is a co-owner, WRHI. Uh, it's 130-1340 AM and uh, 94.3 FM. Uh, you can listen online as well. They have archives and all that good stuff. Uh, Mr. Manning Kimmel joining us live South Carolina. Thank you for sharing a bit of your time with us, sir. Thank you. Good night. Yes, sir. Good night. Context of white supremacy. Um I knew he was only going to be here uh, for roughly a uh, half hour or so. So I was trying to get as much uh, as we could in that uh, allotment of time uh, in terms of callers and questions that I did want to get in. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to get Mr. Poole on the phone to just ask him about that quote, because I have a hard time believing that uh, he it didn't come. I think he said it didn't come out the way that he intended uh, when he was on the program and he said that he thought Mr. Kimmel is working very hard to show the world that he's not a racist. Uh, I just I have a difficult time uh, believing that he made an error in how he wanted that to come out, as well as I have a difficult time believing that he doesn't know very much information about Ben Tillman. Uh, now, you've been in South Carolina for decades I have never been a resident in South Carolina. I have been there before, but I've never been a resident. And I know quite a bit of information about Ben uh, Ben Tillman just because he's been in the news so much over the past six months, I would say, where black students uh, down uh, at Clemson and at Winthrop, because they have uh, buildings and statues uh, to this, in my opinion, arch uh, the essence of what racism, white supremacy is all about. But they've got uh, statues and buildings and all this other stuff. Uh, named after him on two of the main universities uh, down in South Carolina. Uh, I know, I mean, most of the articles that I've seen, it's not even disputed. They just list it. They have whole books <laughs> that uh, attribute this guy to being a racist. And they don't even use the term racist most of the time. They use the term white supremacist. Uh, one of the articles that I'm looking at right now, Ben Tillman was a racist, terrorist, and murderer. <laughs> that's the title of the article so I just I don't believe that I believe that was a deliberate e- effort to practice racism amongst many of the things uh, that he said on the program uh, I mean even right out of the gates uh, when he tries to to switch the table and say well oh you're trying to paint me into a corner and, and this that and the other because I don't have an opinion uh, when that's not what I said at all it's I'm saying that I have a problem or I am suspicious that you're saying you don't know very much information about uh, Ben Tillman. I actually am going to go ahead and call Mr. Poole because he said he would be interested in hearing uh, if we uh, got Mr. Kimmel on the uh, on the program. Uh, and he even slipped that uh, race card. You get on, on and, and, and get into some some race baiting and all that other nonsense that he said. Uh, I'm going to see if we can get Melvin Poole on really quick. I don't want to disrupt his uh, his whole evening. But uh, I am curious to know if if uh, if he actually did talk to Melvin Poole earlier today and if he, you know, said that he was misquoted or if he misspoke or he didn't really uh, he didn't really articulate uh, his answer correctly uh, when he spoke with us a couple weeks ago. Uh, See if I can jingle him really quick and kind of clear that up and then we'll move forward with the program. Folks can get their commentary and if they have anything that they want to share. Uh, let's see here. 
I am struggling to find his number. Uh, let's see. That is so strange. I just gave him a jingle not that long ago. Um, I'll take a cut. If I can't, uh, if I can't track it down in a few moments, then I'll uh, just get our sound clip in and, and we'll rock and roll and uh, perhaps see if we can give him a call later. But I, I would, uh, <laughs> I would like to hear from uh, Mr. Poole. Let's see. Oh, I think I might have found his number here. I think we might have him. I am going to. I'll attempt to give him a jingle right now and see if we we can add him to uh, to the line because I would like to get clarification on that if possible really quick. Um, let's see. Okay, I think this is Mr. Poole. All right, we're going to see if we can give him a ring right now. So hang tight. Uh, excuse the ring and uh, we'll see if we can clear this clear this up before we move forward. photography is not available ah. to take your call <laughs> dang i'll uh i have to ring him tomorrow perhaps i'll ring him tomorrow and ask him if we can uh record it so y'all can hear uh his response but melvin Poole is in the archives i would have made a sound clip of it if he would have been here for the full program that's probably how i would have started the program with that exchange because i just that's another one i have a very hard time believing that uh and i mean he could have you know maybe he did you know misspeak uh, or he didn't, you know, state his views as clearly as he would have liked. Uh, but the question I asked was, do you suspect Mr. Kimmel, our guest for the evening, do you suspect that he could be a racist? And his response, direct quote, I listened to it again this morning. I think he's working very hard to show the world that he's not a racist. He she, I mean, we stayed on it for a few minutes, so he had some other things to say. But in my opinion, that's a pretty that is a pretty explicit statement uh, in talking about someone. So I'll attempt to ring him uh, tomorrow to get clarification on that. And uh, I'll see if I can record so that I can share uh, as we roll. Uh, anywho, uh, just quick notes that stood out in my head, even from that brief exchange. Uh, it reminded me even of, of some of the dialogue that we had yesterday with uh, Sebastian Elkaby with uh, all of the laughing, uh, not taking this very serious, as well as that two. That's one of the uh, the terms on my list where I say this is not about race relations. That term should not be used. This is terrorist. The same thing that article said about Ben Tillman. This is terrorism against black people. Uh, this is not race relations and making it sound like we have just not been getting along or having difficulties. That's not what this is at all. And in my opinion, that is a deliberate aspect of racism when whites use words that obfuscate and confuse the global system of white terrorism that is in operation. Uh, that's a huge one. As I said, the laughing, uh, a big one. Uh, he, in my opinion, doing all of the accusing, you're trying to paint me into a corner. You're not trying to listen to my response. He was doing the same thing. I guess did yesterday doing a lot of uh, interrupting, uh, not answering the question when I asked him, well, what is your view? And he goes off into, well, I don't think the public sentiment is about, 
I didn't ask that. I asked what your view is uh, when I asked about Ben Tillman and it's, well, I don't have enough information. I already said, I don't believe that. That's just not truthful to me. Uh, standard, I would would have asked a few more questions. I definitely had on my list to ask him if he had sexual intercourse with a non-white uh, person, but we just didn't get enough time. At any rate, uh, I will give a quick paragraph just in case folks don't know uh, who Ben Tillman is. Uh, you haven't been keeping up because this has been in the lose a lot. Like I said, over the last six months with black students, I'm even I think Mr. Reed has done some programs on this. And I was hoping to get some of the uh, students who've been involved in all this. But they have been talking about this, generating a lot of media attention, uh, both on the campus uh, down at Winthrop, uh, as well as uh, Clemson. These are two, you know, the the major institutions uh, down in South Carolina. Uh, this report, again, it's titled Ben Tillman was a racist terrorist and murderer. It's time to take down his statue. This is a feature in the Charleston city paper. Uh, I'm just, I'm skipping out. This is a big chunky report. You should probably check it out, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it just so folks have a little bit more context. Uh, it reads in South Carolina. Oh, I missed the sentence. Okay, here we go. Uh, as generations of school children have been taught the reconstruction government was rife with corruption, but in a period of astounding political corruption nationwide, what went on in the state was not remarkable, and it certainly didn't end with Reconstruction. What South Carolinians have not been taught is that blacks showed far more restraint toward whites in their exercise of power than whites showed towards blacks. Reconstruction in South Carolina was led by a number of courageous and talented African-Americans, including war hero and congressman Robert Smalls. Benjamin Franklin Randolph, who was murdered by white terrorists in an ambush in 1876, and Richard Kane, who helped draft the progressive state constitution of 1868, yet none of these important individuals was named in their high school textbooks. Instead, the textbooks dwelt upon the heroic defenders of the South, Pitchfork Ben Tillman's red shirts, and to a lesser degree, the Ku Klux Klan. Both groups were terrorist organizations whose excesses in defense of white supremacy, high school textbooks in South Carolina, smugly justified. The sight of the mounted Klansmen in their white robes was enough to terrorize the Negroes. When the courts did not punish Negroes who were supposed to have committed crimes, the Klan punished them. Unlike the KKK, Ben Tillman's red shirts were openly connected to the state Democratic Party. They terrorized Republicans and blacks and hijacked the election of 1876. Uh, the high school textbooks in South Carolina told it Reconstruction government collapsed and South Carolina was once more in possession of its own government. What the textbooks meant, of course, was that 40 percent of the white population was in control of the government again. Uh, she goes on to give more information specifically about some of the things that Tillman uh, did uh, in bringing up some of this terrorism against black people. I'm trying to scroll down uh, a little later uh, in the article. Um, let's see. Wow, this comes in the U.S. Senate as well. Uh, let's see. Okay, here we go. Ben Tillman's long and bloody public career began in 1876 at what would ultimately be called the Hamburg Massacre. The then 29-year-old Tillman led the members of the Sweetwater Sabre Club, a.k.a. the Edgefield Redshirts, against a local militia group, all black. Several African-American militiamen were killed in a pitched battle with Redshirt 
wearing white terrorists. After the militia surrendered, five of them were called out by name and executed. A few weeks later, when the vigilantes captured a black state senator named Simon Coker, Tillman was present when two of his men executed the prisoner while he was on his knees praying. Later, the terrorist leader Tillman explained his intentions on that fateful July 8th day. It had been the settled purpose of the leading white men of Edgefield to seize the first opportunity that the Negroes might offer them to provoke a riot and teach the Negroes a lesson, as it was generally believed that nothing but bloodshed and a good deal of it could answer the purpose of redeeming the state from Negro and carpet bag rule that is all in quotes. In a 1909 speech at a red shirt reunion in Anderson, Tillman reiterated this point, noting that he believed in terrorizing the Negroes at the first opportunity by letting them provoke trouble and then having the whites demonstrate their superiority by killing as many of them as was justifiable all in quotes <laughs> he continues he added that we have good government now is due entirely to the fact that red shirt men of 1876 did all and dared all that was necessary to rescue south carolina from the rule of the alien the traitor and the semi-barbarous negroes in quotes i will stop there uh the hamburg mask i mean it's Lots of South Carolina history, a history of what they call Reconstruction. Uh, it would seem like Ben Tillman is a central figure uh, in all of this. And again, this is I mean, I just I, to me, that is just not believable uh, that this guy who's been in South Carolina, been in media, says he took time to do some research uh, on Gus and, and all this other information. But he doesn't know anything about Ben Tillman, or as he put it, he doesn't know enough to register opinion one way or the other about whether this guy was a racist, even though he conceded that he thinks this guy owned or enslaved black people. Just that enough really should be enough. You know, you're telling me all I need to know about you, uh, Mr. Kimmel, that you know that this guy enslaved black people or you think he enslaved black people, but that isn't enough for you to say that this guy's a racist. Got it. Anywho, um, I'm trying to decide how to proceed. Um, because I had other things that I wanted to cover, but they're not really related to Mr. Kimmel. Um, I will check the folks on the line to see if they have anything they would like to share on that matter. And then once we get that resolved, then we can move forward and touch other subjects. Uh, the folks that dialed in uh, have comments that they wanted to get in based on uh, what they heard from uh, Mr. Manning Kimmel, uh, the short time that uh, that he was with us. Uh, we'll get your your comments in before we move forward. I just want to ask you a question of what, what was the problem with um, um, the Reverend um, Jesse Jackson and um, Al Sharpton. Mm. Mm. Open him up. Open him up, you know. <laughs> just open him up. <laughs> get him, get him, get him clear. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to hear about that, too. I actually think he is in error. I don't think it's possible that Mr. Tillman uh, directly owned or enslaved any black people. He was born in 1847. Uh, so I don't, unless he unless he has some uh, juicy tidbits that I don't know about, I don't think it would have been possible, at least in the, the plantation sense of how all this operates. I don't think that would have been possible. Um, 
maybe, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that would have been possible. Any uh, other? Reed's guest can help me. Yes, sir, Mr. Reed. Um, thank you uh, for taking my call. Uh, um, Mr. Kimball was definitely uh, practicing racism uh, by pretending that he was ignorant about a former governor of South Carolina, a longtime U.S. state senator, uh, and the founder of Clinton. Um, I, I presume that he does a what you might call a political uh, radio show. Is that correct? What you look at the website? I haven't looked at it. What What do you think? You know, what people activities do they focus on? I would, you're, well, I would say local politics, definitely politics, but he, I think, focuses specifically on their, uh, he's in Rock Hill, South Carolina, so it seems like he focuses a lot on, you know, issues that they're dealing with there, and uh, they were talking about Medicaid expansion, the program that I heard with Mr. Poole, and some of the uh, uh, immigration reform, that sort of thing, but it's definitely uh, political talk radio. Okay, and this is uh, definitely a political uh, issue that has been talked about a lot in, in local you know, uh, media down there in South Carolina. And you are correct. I have done a couple of programs, talked to a couple of the students with Cedar Stripes. Um, this guy, he definitely knows. But I, if I would have had an opportunity, um, he was, again, he, I agree with you, practicing opposite uh, station, um, not answering questions directly, uh, playing dumb. Now, he might have been having some issues uh, hearing you guys because you were going in and out during time since I was um, dialed in, uh, but nothing too terrible or, you know, taking that long. But I think um, he just was, like, just doing a whole lot of talking, not really saying nothing. You know, that is how they do it right-wing uh, radio. Whenever they get a call or somebody they disagree with, they try to dominate the conversation or try to play ignorant, try to play dumb. But I would have liked to have asked him, is it simply not even, you know, connecting it to Bill Tillman, but... Since he says, uh, let's have a dialogue and let's understand uh, these issues, I would like to understand what it is with white people um, that they feel like it's correct behavior to uh, erect monuments to racist, terrorists, murderers, enslavers, genocidal maniacs. You know, uh, and, and we can name any one of their founding fathers, from George Washington to, you know, so uh, without even naming anyone, is it correct? for um, people to be putting monuments up to uh, people who are admitted racist and killers. Tillman was admitted racist, bragged about killing black people. You read the history there. And, yeah, uh, Mr. Kimmel is, is just, you know, trying to feign ignorance, but I'm sure he's greatly informed about um, uh, Benjamin Tillman. And he just didn't want to be heard on record, you know, um, as saying that, yes, it's incorrect to be erecting not monuments and naming buildings after admitted racists and murderers. So, you know, we don't want anyone in this listening audience to call in and say, hey, I heard you on the cows and, and you're against Bill Tillman and, and what's up with that? So, yeah. All right. Thank you for taking my call. For sure. For sure, Mr. Reed. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, any of the other folks who uh, dialed in have anything they want to get in on what they heard from Mr. Tillman, brief time uh, that he was with us? Yes, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, I think there was one thing that stood out about this gentleman, and it's really diabolical because this guy kept saying what he thought was important to him. And one specific statement 
that I wrote down, when he talked about those uh, uh, students who painted a rock or whatever they did, he said it wasn't that important to him that they painted it, but it was more important to him that the kids came and unpainted the rock. And I, I just, that, that really just crunched my soul when he said, like, that, oh, that was not important, but what's important to me, just like he said, he spoke for the, 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 uh, the guys who sat in the restaurant. Oh, it wasn't really important then that they get their record expunged. What's more important that they got clearance? Like, he, he, he can speak to them. Did he ever bother to question the family? And what was the composition of the students who went overhead and painted the rocks? Yes, I'm telling you, this guy, uh, I, I don't know, he was really scary. Thank you. Compensation is not on his mind. <laughs> well, I, I thought that uh, to the female caller's point about the uh, oh, I'm getting some. I hope you're not on speakerphone because I am getting a little bit of echo uh, in the background. No speakerphone, please. But yeah, to the the female caller's point about the uh, rock and and him thinking that was so. That's why I said that that does not impress me. I wouldn't be surprised if muted. Uh, oops, unmuted. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the students, white students, that went out to uh, clean this rock up. I would not be surprised at all if some of them participated in putting it up in the first place. I've seen that sort of thing before where uh, the white perpetrator will then come back and they'll be a part of the, oh, let's, you know, make amends and, and do it. And not that we're going to do any sort of compensation to the black victims, but, you know, at least let's try to go through the motions and make it seem so, you know, I, I, I agree. I thought that was important as well. That did seem to be a pattern in, in terms of how he uh, talked about these different incidents. I was going to ask him if he thought this was terrorism, uh, the incident with the rock and some of these other uh, incidents, Ben Tillman, blah, blah, blah. If he thought this was terrorism. He also said he didn't know about George Stinney. I thought that was, uh, <clears throat> put that in the list of, of being suspicious as well. Cause that had got a huge amount of attention. That was in the New York times. And that was big national news um, for a few weeks, right at the end of 2014. So I don't know how you could be in South Carolina and not, be hearing that they were interviewing victims of the family and what have you. And, you know, all of that talking about how much progress. So that was a little uh, suspicious to me as well, that he didn't know anything about uh, George Stinney. Uh, any of the other folks who, who haven't been able to share yet, did y'all have any, any comments uh, on Mr. Kimmel? You wanted to make sure you got in. Um, I'm not sure if, if it was only me, but I think he's uh, skipping my question about South Africa. I think he only said, I agree. He didn't actually answer whether or not who's African. Mm. I think he only said, I agree. And that's, that's one of the major signs because uh, white supremacy is the European system where everybody agrees to say that they're white. And no matter where they live, they, they'll have a, a say in it. Like they'll say they're African or whatever. And so when we start connecting the dots on saying African is a biological term, then you start getting into reparations for people here. You start saying that people own land back in South Africa. And so now it's the Europeans fighting each other, telling, to, telling Africans that they deserve reparations. So he just said, I, I agree. He, didn't, he skipped that question. Mm, that was when I was a little surprised that he didn't just say, I don't know enough about South Africa to comment. I thought he was just going to do the uh, ignorant white person thing again. Yeah, that actually that America and South Africa are the two biggest bastions for white supremacy. So he just said, "I, I agree." Uh, any of the other folks that are with us uh, have anything they wanted to uh, get in before we move away from uh, Mr. Kimmel? Anything they want to get in? 
Can I be heard? Can I be heard? Uh, can you hear both of you? Oh, okay. I had a quick one on. Yeah, well, South Africans, they slick. Um, they, they took the um, C out and made it a K. It was Africa. Or they call it Africans. Or, you know, they, they added, you know, you know how they do. And um, just a little, little switchable here, and it's something totally different than the, the real thing. Um, what I thought about the guest was he was, you know, definitely practicing racism. I think we all that. Um, I wrote to you earlier about, um, I, you know, I thought the guest last night, he was, um, he showed a level of refinement that West Coast, and I said the South refinement is pretty similar, and I think that, you know, he observed that tonight, trying to make lighter things, um, make jokes. Um, you know, what they do down South a, a little bit more is just, um, you know, they don't know enough about it. You know, they, they just won't answer the question, you know, as opposed to, up here where they are, they have an answer for everything. They they don't you know, they don't work to at all in New York. Um and that that's all I had to say. Well that ain't been my experience. Some people up in New York do do the same thing. Pretend they don't know nothing. Especially that one chick out of that we uh, interviewed out of New York. She don't know nothing. So it do the same thing, bro. There was uh, okay. one other male caller. Uh, did you have a point you wanted to make? Yeah. I, I consider when he was saying, like, um, the Kimmel guy, when he was saying, um, when he was identifying with the civil rights movement, like maybe the water hoses or whatever, then... I felt that I found it kind of interesting that he chose to identify with that particular area in history and not go back a little bit further to the lynchings and the lynch pictures and stuff like that, you know, because then he can't even present himself to be, you know, you know, in a good type of way. So I think, you know, it's good research to talk to them like that and get their responses because, I mean, he sounded just like the guy from last night when he was laughing and, you know, it was kind of creepy, you know. It was the same, same laugh. I heard the same person in him that I heard last night when it come to answering the questions. So I think that, you know, like what, 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 is, what we're doing is like it's good research because it shows you collectively how they respond to the information. So, that's all I wanted to say. Mm. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just thoroughly appalled by this man. He, you know, as you as you all said, manipulating conversation. I think there was some a, a little bit where his phone he couldn't hear, but there was some other times when he made that comment and you can kind of tell that there was a smirk kind of that he was you know kind of laughing and then um, when the gentleman asked him about um, what color he thought Jesus was someone in the background yelled out white I thought that was really interesting I just wish I had you know kind of mentioned too like you know the people that also got reparations right here in this country were the white slaveholders even though he he didn't feel that um you know, the um, 
people in North Carolina deserved him, but, you know, the way I see it, we all deserve it. If you can pay the slaveholders but give the slaves nothing, I mean, you know, that that's absurd. So that's all I had to say. Great, that uh, compensation of uh, black victims of racism, I think that's pretty consistent. Uh, Most of the white people that we've asked about that have had a pretty similar response in terms of not wanting to get into that, or they don't know, or that's just not something that they're going to come out and and publicly advocate or even privately advocate, uh, it seems to me. Um, The uh, One of our listeners wrote in about that as well in terms of the uh, compensation. Um, one of our listeners, they also wrote in about South Carolina State University, which is an HBCU uh, that they were talking about closing down recently. It's been in the news that folks have been paying attention. Uh, she wrote and she said um, there was a recent uh, report by the Association of Public and Land Grant Universities that found that South Carolina hasn't been playing by the land grant rules after a number of presidents at historically black colleges and universities complained that their states weren't putting in their share. The Association of Public and Land Grant Universities looked into it. Sure enough, their research found that between 2010 and 2012, HBCU land grant universities in 17 states, including South Carolina, had been shortchanged by a total of $56 million in state funding, while several predominantly white land grant colleges and universities had gotten more than they were owed. Um, and she wanted to ask if, if she, if he thought uh, the guest thought that was uh, educational racism being practiced. I just didn't, uh, didn't see their uh, question before he departed, but that excellent one, excellent one to ask as well. Um, Um, can I ask a question, Gus? Yes, be yes ma'am. Just really quick, um, I think when you ask him the question about are white people greatly pained about racism, is he the first white male who agreed based off of your tally? Yes, yes, he is. Okay. All right. That's all I wanted to know. We are three and four now, three and four uh, with guests. Three have said they think that is a false statement, four that think that is uh, an accurate statement, <laughs> and three of the four have been females. He is the first white male to to say yes, he he agrees. I thought that was uh, significant as well. The I think the previous caller who also mentioned that particular part of the conversation where uh, his reference points were when Dr. King was killed and all of this stuff from 50 years ago, that's something that I pay attention to because, I mean, you got incidents of racism in South Carolina that are happening right now um, that you could be talking about. I don't know why we got to go a half century back to talk about something that you felt bad about as opposed to incidents that are happening right now. That black male that was shot on uh, camera a few months back uh, when the officer asked him to get his uh, driver's license, registration, or what have you. He went to get it, and the officer shot him. White officer shot him. That was in South Carolina. The incidents we've been talking about at Clemson and uh, Winthrop University, uh, the incident at the high school that we did talk about, the incident with the coach uh, that we were talking about. It's lots of, of present-day issues that we could be talking about right now. So that was that was not believable to me either, but, you know. Um, uh-huh. Everybody good? Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. 
I understand there's a phenomenon in South Carolina where, like, um, if, you, if, if you're a black male uh, traveling by car, uh, you um, you run the risk of, like, getting kidnapped and taken off to jail. I heard this on a radio show, of a, uh, and this happened to a black male uh, D.C. activist, a uh, human rights activist, and I forget his name, I think his last name is Say Too, and he talked about how he, you know, was actually traveling. I don't know if he was traveling in his car or whatever, what have you, but um, he was uh, taken in, I assume, by police and um, put in a local jail there. And for, I, I assume, uh, several months or several weeks, you know, of course, his uh, who knew him didn't know where he was, but... I don't know how he, you know, got out of jail, et cetera, but he, he actually talks about that experience, um, and it happened in South Carolina. And if you'd like, I can send you the link to that, that radio show that he did. Absolutely. If you're interested. Untiljustice okay. at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. No crazy spellings or anything exactly, you know, untiljustice at gmail.com. But yeah, I'm not surprised at all when Mr. Poole was on the program. That's the black male. Um, he, two weeks ago, he said the same thing. He said that uh, it was a black male friend oh. of his who I guess is not a South Carolina resident, but he was coming to visit or whatever he was going to do in the state. And he said he drove in and he was stopped and harassed by the enforcement officers and had to go through all this and, you know, felt like things could have went really bad for him if, you know, he hadn't if he was not codified and how he dealt uh, with this officer. But I think that was how Mr. Poole started the program uh, and talking about how this is a, a routine thing uh, where black people are being stopped and harassed by enforcement officers. That's why I said we. It, I find it appalling that we have to go back 50 years to talk about incidents of racism. There are things that are happening right now every day. That seems to be a pattern, not just South Carolina, but worldwide, certainly nationally. But yeah, Mr. Poole, he corroborated. He had the same experience to share. Wow. Thank you. Uh, if uh, Unless folks had anything else on Mr. Kimmel, uh, in that same vein with police terrorism, I uh, did have uh, a clip that I wanted to get in and then uh, if folks have anything else that they want to address or any comments on the clip, we can make time for that as well. Um, but there was a clip, just an update. I don't know if people are keeping up with what's transpiring in St. Louis Ferguson situation. Uh, white people spent a lot of time last week uh, on the uh, six month anniversary of Michael Brown's shooting death. And uh, they were talking about what's happened since then and what's going on with the protests and uh, the lawsuit that has been filed uh, about these fines and what have you that are happening uh, in Ferguson. They had several programs uh, that I listened to last week. Um, It stood out to me just because they were asking about have things changed, which I said we need. This is something that we should be doing. Like we should be making assessments, six month assessment, one year assessment what this is what we've been doing. This is what we hope to accomplish. And this is the result. So we can kind of gauge our progress, what's been successful, what has not. We can alter our efforts, you know, just based on what we've seen. Uh, So I thought it was important. I did not get to include it this past weekend in the compensatory call in, but thought we would have some extra time so I can include it today. And uh, the the just so you can see the patterns, the the overall historical context uh, of white supremacy. I 
was watching, I uh, just found a documentary. It was uh, on Sonny Liston, uh, who's former heavyweight champion. Uh, he and Muhammad Ali fought twice. Muhammad Ali beat that. Muhammad Ali won his first championship, knocking out uh, Sonny Liston. And I found this documentary and Sonny Liston <laughs> was reporting the racism that he experienced in St. Louis. Uh, he was born in Arkansas and he ran away from home uh, to be with his black mom in St. Louis. And he talked about his experience with St. Louis's finest. And that <laughs> all I could do is laugh. Just like, wow, that is, that is the world in which we live. Um, and even, even uh, on top of that, uh, there is a great clip. If you go to St. Louis public radio, uh, where they have a whole section about racism, the history of racism in St. Louis. And they have, it's about an hour piece on Josephine Baker. Uh, she was in, she was a child in St. Louis when they had the white terrorism uh, in the early 20th century. And she talked about over her career that this, uh, I mean, just traumatized her uh, for the duration of her life, where this was something that she talked about and just really impacted uh, the way that she thought uh, about whites, the way she thought about the world uh, and racism, experiencing this as a child. Uh, and it's you can go, like I said, it's about an hour if you go to St. Louis Public Radio uh, to check it out. But uh, the clip, uh, I'll play it. Then if folks have any comments, if you all have been paying attention or just based on what you hear, first you'll hear the short snippet from uh, the documentary. Uh, it's uh, The Champ Nobody Wanted. That's the name of it, uh, which is, man, black lives do not matter. System of white supremacy, anytime, doesn't matter. 17th century, 2015, whatever. Uh, if it's racism, white supremacy, your life as a black person is worth nothing. And that's what we're trying to change. But that's the first snippet. Uh, and then it transitions so you can hear the segment uh, that's talking about what has what has transpired over these six months. And you get some of the details about the lawsuit that they are uh, had filed about these excessive fines targeting black residents uh, in the Ferguson area. Uh, once we knock that out, if folks have any comments on the clip, we can make time for that. If you have anything else that you uh, want to get in, uh, we should have time for that as well. But this is the sound clip context of white supremacy, uh, racism, St. Louis, Missouri. Later the same week, Liston won the World Amateur Golden Gloves Championship. As a black ex-convict in a racially segregated St. Louis, his newfound fame made him even more of a target for police harassment. In 1956, during a dispute over a parking ticket, Liston claimed that a policeman racially abused him. Liston retaliated and struck the officer. He was arrested and sentenced to nine months in jail. Well, it was some things he did, he was wrong, and... You know what I mean? And it, like he couldn't drink. And the only time Sonny got in trouble, if he drank, you know, and he tried to stay away, but then you be out with somebody and you want to take a drink, you take a drink. And that's how that came about. That's what I say. He couldn't drink. And everything that ever happened to Sonny with the cops, he did it himself because he took a drink. That's how that came about. He was released, but he was in big trouble as far as the St. Louis City Police were concerned because he was known as what they call a Nixie fighter, a guy who fight police officers. So they were just waiting to get him in a position where they could render revenge. I don't know how many times he was arrested after that, but I know he was continually harassed by the police. You know, he didn't feel comfortable here in St. Louis anymore. 
you know. And he said he, he had made references to the fact he wanted to get out of here. Billy Holiday, I sing your blues. Bet your life against me and I swear to God you lose it. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Motherfuck the cops, we still singing for St. Louis. Monday marked six months since a white police officer killed unarmed black teenager Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. The shooting sparked protests over Brown's death and the broader racial divide it came to symbolize. Now, half a year later, a major legal action is taking that divide head on. On Sunday, more than a dozen St. Louis area residents filed class action lawsuits against Ferguson and another suburb, Jennings. The residents accused local officials of creating a, quote, modern debtors prison scheme that targets African-Americans with arrests and fines and then locks them up when they can't pay. This is how one resident, George Fields, described it to Democracy Now! in August. He was speaking outside of Michael Brown's funeral. I'm George Fields, and I'm here for Mike Brown, and for mostly for all black men walking down the street stuck in, not being able to go out in the county, seriously, sir, because we like city is a little more leaner with ticket values and stuff, and we have just been ticketed over much over there, and then it leads to other crimes, you know, and ticket costs you 50 cents, I mean $50 a ticket, right, but you have to pay bond, you have to be in jail three days and stuff and like that, it's just too much, and then past Goodfellow, city lines, they tow your car automatically. You know, so they don't have no leniency in the county with the county police at all, for real. If you check the records, everybody that passed Goodfellow here at the city line gets pulled over dramatically. And then it's just a kind of push off against, you know, systematically against blacks, for real. If you look at the statistics, it shows you. It's just a little too much when you get pulled over for menial things. You have to go through too much to get out and you lose your jobs and whatnot, you know, for a $50 ticket and pull over. You cannot go in the county. I'm fearful of the county. I've been stuck in the city for six or seven years because the county has been that bad. I, my kids stay in the county. I can't see them. I got to sneak to see my kids. I have to sneak to see my kids because my plate might be bad or something. You know, I'm poor and I'm trying to drive around to get better. But, you know, they won't ticket you. They just take your stuff immediately. You know, if, if you take it, the whole thing is ready. That you was know, every time. George Fields, one of the St. Louis area residents who attended Michael Brown's funeral, speaking right before he stepped into the church. Well, a study last year by the Arch City Defenders found a large part of the revenue for several St. Louis counties comes from fines paid by African-American residents disproportionately targeted for traffic stops and other low-level offenses. In Ferguson, fines and fees were the city's second-largest source of income in the fiscal year 2014. Ferguson issued, on average, nearly three warrants per household last year the highest number of warrants in the state relative to its size. The targeting may have had deadly consequences. According to the new class action lawsuit, four area residents unable to buy their freedom have committed suicide in local jails in the past five months. Others allege indefinite detention and various denials of due process. The suit claims the debtor's scheme has, quote, devastated the city's poor, trapping them for years in a cycle of increased fees, debts, extortion and cruel jailings. 
The plaintiffs want an end to the targeting as well as compensation for its victims. Well, we're joined in St. Louis by three guests. Michael John Voss is the managing attorney at Arch City Defenders, which is one of the groups that's filed a lawsuit accusing two St. Louis suburbs, Ferguson and Jennings, of creating these illegal debtors' prisons. And we're joined by Allison and Herbert Nelson, Jr., two of the plaintiffs in the class action lawsuits, uh, Allison and Herbert, our brother and sister. We welcome you all to Democracy Now! Um, why don't we begin with Michael Voss, Michael John Voss. Explain uh, how this system works. So what we have in St. Louis, uh, in the municipalities in St. Louis County, is a modern debtor's prison. Um, basically, um, our study, the white paper that you uh, referred to earlier, uh, showed that um, individuals who are African-American are disproportionately targeted um, by um, uh, police in, in the municipalities, as well as um, they are also um, exploited because of their financial inability to pay certain fines and costs related to that traffic stop, that traffic violation. And so what happens is an individual then is forced to pay an exorbitant amount of money relative to the charge that they're uh, facing. And then they are, um, uh, if they don't have that ability to pay, there are actually no inquiries made as to that ability or not. And a warrant's issued for their arrest, and then they become incarcerated. It's sometimes uh, for, for days, for weeks, without any um, uh, looking into their financial ability to pay, and actually without even having a clear sense of, of whether or not they um, have uh, uh, any sort of specific amount that they would be able to pay to get out of jail. And so it's arbitrarily they're being detained uh, uh, in St. Louis County in these municipal jails. And talk about this lawsuit that you filed, uh, how it was put together and what it's seeking to accomplish. So um, the lawsuit uh, that we filed, we're working with an organization called Equal Justice Under Law out of Washington, D.C., and the St. Louis University School of Law Clinics. And basically, um, by uh, interviewing and talking with many individuals who had gone through these experiences, we were uh, able to take down a number of stories of individuals. Uh, and uh, we've uh, then investigated the sort of practices of the courts uh, through Court Watching Project and then put together this lawsuit. Um, it is a class action lawsuit seeking injunctive relief, uh, an end to the these practices, and also seeking uh, damages for the individuals that have suffered under the system. Michael John Voss, how many suicides have there been in the jails just in the last five months? Um, well, just in the last five months, uh, within the last few years, there's been at least four recorded deaths. Um, there's been also attempted suicides that uh, we also have documentation of through, through news reports. Um, there was a story of a, a young man, 18 years old, who um, clearly needed mental health uh, treatment, but none of that was provided to him. Uh, and while he was in Jennings Municipal Court Jail, he committed suicide. And so the conditions are deplorable. Um, the conditions that we outlined in, our, in, in the lawsuit uh, show uh, that individuals are not—sometimes uh, there's—, there's seven to ten people in a cell, excuse me, over 12 people in a jail cell that's supposed to house just eight. Uh, they're not given enough blankets to keep warm. There's no washing of those blankets. They're not permitted to take showers. Um, I've been, uh, as a lawyer, practicing in the municipal courts for a number of years, and I've been in a hallway in Jennings uh, after they take uh, people out of the, the confined docket, of which they don't allow any public access to, uh, the uh, inmates are brought down a hallway and down into the jail. I've been waiting in that hallway to speak with a prosecutor, and immediately Immediately after all of the individuals that are brought down into the jail uh, file through, uh, a court clerk comes through with a can of aerosol to uh, remove the stench because nobody's taken a bath because they're not provided a shower for weeks. Allison Nelson, explain what happened to you. Um, well, there were, there were multiple occasions where I was incarcerated by Jennies and Ferguson, but just my recent one, I, it was Thanksgiving. 
it was three days before Thanksgiving. I was incarcerated into Jenny's jail cell. I had been there for three days. And once I left Jenny's, well, they negotiated with my mother over the phone to reduce my bond from $1,000 to $100. And then once they reduced the bond, then I was then transferred to Ferguson jail cell Thanksgiving morning at around 3 a.m. And I sat there for a few hours, and then once they had shift change and the other CO came in, the correctional officer came in, I guess he was in a good mood Thanksgiving morning because he came in, called out a list of names, and he was just like, okay. At the time, my bond was $700, and he was just like, oh, if you could come up with $100, then you could go home. So then we weren't given free phone calls at all, so I had to call my mother on the collect phone, and when, you, when you're supposed to speak your name, I had to yell through the phone that, oh, they're giving me a $100 bond, come and get me. So it was... What were you charged was, with, Allison? I was charged with... What was I... It was driving... It was driving while suspended? Yeah, it was driving while suspended. And that's been the only choice that I've had. Can you explain the first time you were approached by police? You were in a car... In your own backyard? You weren't yes. driving? No, I was in the driver's seat of the car. I was just sitting in the backyard. I had on my nightgown and everything. And they came up in the backyard, and as I was walking into the house, he was just like, freeze, stop. And he asked for my name. You know, I gave him my name, and then they immediately took me to jail in my nightgown. Did not have no time. They did not give me any time to put on no clothes. And then once I was transferred, once I went to Jenny's and then transferred to Ferguson, then they then let my mother bring me some clothes. But you were sitting in your car in your backyard? Yes, in the backyard. What did they charge you with? Oh, they charged me with driving while suspended. So it's an outstanding warrant for that prior charge of driving yeah. while suspended. And Herbert Nelson, uh, the suit alleges that you've suffered some medical conditions as a result of your treatment. Uh, tell us your story. Yes, um, <clears throat> I've been arrested multiple times, too. Um, the last couple of times I've been arrested on my way to work with no regards to that. They just arrest me. They don't care that I'm in uniform, and I'm a painter, so I have um, <clears throat> a very stiff uniform. And I was in... And the last time I was arrested, I was arrested for close to a week without no medical attention. And I had an infection that was caused from being jailed um, previously. And the infection just never went away. And they didn't give me any attention regarding my um, medical condition at all at Jennings or Ferguson. And it just got worse and worse. And they they really stopped me from going to work. And they they done that multiple times. And with no regards to me having a job, not trying to let me out earlier to get to work or anything like that. So I lost a lot through this. Now, your mother, Tanya DeBerry, has also had problems with police around tra traffic violations. Explain yes. what happened to her. Um, she has been arrested um, illegally before, and we we have to come up with the money. She usually comes up with the money for us. Now, with her on the other end, when she's arrested, it's even harder for us to come up with the money for our mother because we don't have the resources that she has. So when she's in jail, she's been in jail for a lot longer than we have. Ms. Jenny, uh, Mr. Barry lives on a, on a fixed income, and so the ability to 
to, to make a payment of an exorbitant amount of money that these courts are demanding for her to be released is very difficult for them to, 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 uh, to do. In, in addition to that, uh, there's, there's no judicial finding as to whether or not people are, have the ability to pay these, these fines and costs. And so uh, typically people will be incarcerated, like Mr. Berry was, for weeks at a time without uh, ever going in front of a judge to have an actual judicial determination made as to whether or not they are indigent or, or not. And Michael John Voss, uh, the structural issues here, uh, nearly three arrest warrants per household in Ferguson, and then using these fines to basically pay for, for the city services. Can you talk about that? Right. So um, what you see within a number of municipalities in, in North County, and Ferguson especially, is, is this wedding of the need to generate revenue for the municipality with the administration of justice. And so there's a financial incentive here for this practice to continue, for the municipality to continue to, to, to run and function. And, and what we need to have is a divorce between those two things. Finan the, the, the need to ge uh, generate revenue for the municipality needs to be divorced from the administration of justice in, the, in these, in these county uh, municipalities. So, Allison Nelson, you were 18 when you first got one of these violations, and you were put in jail, and now you're 23. Um, how many times have they put you in jail for, for example, sitting in your car, which is stationary, which is still in your backyard? Um, ew. The only, well, that was the only time that I had been sitting in a non-moving vehicle and I was arrested. The other times, I was the passenger in the car. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's been, like, only a couple times where I have actually been driving, and they pulled me over and was like, oh, you have an outstanding warrant for driving while suspended license or whatever the case may be. But any other time, I have been a passenger in a car or the car was not moving at all. Herbert, how does this make you feel about the police? Uh, that's a good question, because the last time I was arrested, the officer said I shouldn't be afraid of officers. But that same officer, he actually, um, he was like, yes, he was so excited to arrest me. And that alone made me afraid because a lot of my friends and family won't even come to see me because I live in Jennings. They are scared to come into the county of North St. Louis, North County of St. Louis, because of the police and how quick they are to arrest you over minor, minor, minor uh, traffic tickets. Herbert, when we were there, uh, there was some hope among Sun residents that we spoke to that things might get better uh, in the uh, aftermath of these protests, of this organizing in Ferguson and the surrounding areas. Has anything improved in the six months since Michael Brown was killed? Um, far as the policing, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. No, I wouldn't honestly say it has improved. No, it actually began and got worse because it seems like the crime has went up and the police are really—the jails are just running in and out like they way more packed than they were before Mike Brown was um, shot. This, the jails are way more packed, so they haven't improved at all. Well, I want to thank you all for being with us. We'll certainly link to uh, all the information about this. Michael John Voss, managing attorney at Arch City Defenders, Allison and Herbert Nelson, Jr., plaintiffs in the class action lawsuits. Context of white supremacy, uh, we will— Take a moment of silence for Kimberly Randall King. Context of white supremacy, Kimberly Randall King. Uh, you heard the uh, portion of the audio where they were saying that they uh, that they had had an increase in the number of suicides uh, committed by 
uh, black people that were in greater confinement uh, in the St. Louis area. Uh, Kimberly Randall King is one of those uh, suicide victims, uh, black female. This was uh, September, uh, unless I'm in error, I believe September of 2014, uh, right after, you know, all, everything had become big news uh, in the Ferguson area. Uh, but some of our listeners uh, are Kimberly Randall King's uh, family and, and relatives, uh, and that didn't get nearly as much attention, even though that happened uh, right in the in the, the thick of everything back in September. Uh, and it was uh, a suicide under very suspicious uh, circumstances. Uh, she was very young uh, in her early 20s uh, and a mom. Uh, but that is one of those uh, suspicious uh, suicides uh, from black people. I also thought Super important where uh, the black male victim, uh, when he was talking and saying that uh, his black friends, they were afraid to come see him uh, in his particular area because of the police. And I said that right there is terrorism. That is what happens where you end up having people that are fearful uh, and adjust their behavior according to that fear. That's why it's very important. I think Mr. Reed has touched on that as well. Uh, it is not police brutality. This is terrorism police terrorism, white terrorism, contrary to what uh, the great Susan Patton uh, had to say. That's uh, extremely important that that is the way that we think about white supremacy racism. I know Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, she said that on the program uh, back in 2012, where she really emphasized uh, making sure that use the term terrorism to describe this, because that's the impact that you're seeing uh, on black people. And even you heard from uh, Ben Tillman uh, and talking about all of their terrorist activity. That's what they wanted. They want to instill fear in their non-white people, their victims uh, in black people, because it makes it easier if you can have a population that is supposed to be subject, subordinate to you. If they are all, you know, instilled with huge amounts of fear, they will be less likely to rebel and try to do something to work against your system. So very important what came out right there. Um, also, that the, the issue of compensation uh, came up in that clip as well for this unjust practice, what they call this debtor's prison scheme uh, in wanting compensation. It came up again, and uh, that's something I guess we can pay attention to as, as this suit uh, moves forward. If white people are coming out and saying, yes, there should be some sort of restitution uh, for all of this incorrect activity and all of these excessive fines uh, that have been happening in the St. Louis area to see how that plays out as well. I uh, also thought uh, the segment in between, right, the music snippet. So it was uh, Sonny Liston at first, the audio segment from his documentary, the music segment, and then it went to the clip from Democracy. Now that music uh, segment in the middle, I think uh, one of our female callers that was with us now was talking about some of the uh, tunes that I play from time to time on the program. That is a uh, black female artist. Her name is Rhapsody. Uh, I had a chuckle because I played that clip before. If you you know listen to the program, I've been playing that clip for uh, a few months now. That's one of many songs that has come out post uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson, where they're referencing this and talking about racism. Uh, our guest from yesterday interviewed her. Uh, he had her, he did like an hour interview uh, where they talked about that song and, and her thoughts about racism and the whole, and I just had a, a hearty chuckle uh, thinking uh, of that, that, you know, maybe we should get her on the program. But yeah, our Sebastian Elkaby uh, did like a 50 minute interview with the, the female artist who uh, produced that song. Um, I guess the last comment that I'll get in and then if folks have anything on that clip, uh, you can make your comments. And if you have other, other topics that you 
uh, want to touch on, we can make time for that. In fact, my comments aren't really related to the clip, so I'll stop there. I can get my other commentary in before we uh, sign off. Did anybody have anything they wanted to get in based on uh, the clip that you heard? Everybody who dialed in with the hand up line should be open. Uh, the number again, 760-569-7676. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, oh, there was one other thing. The comment at the end that I thought was extremely important. Now, that's just one uh, person's assessment. Uh, it would be good to follow up and talk to other people to kind of see uh, what they think, how things have progressed over the, the past six months. But he said he thinks things have gotten worse, that they're, the jails are stuffed with black people, uh, that the police uh, are even nastier now. He said crime has gone up. He said things have gotten worse over the six months since all of this started. Uh, now, I have, like I said, they had a lot of these conversations. I can share links if folks want to do any research, but they had a lot of these different discussions and reports uh, last week. I'm sure there'll be more to come, but that was the general sentiment that I heard, either that there's been no change at all, it's about the same as before Michael Brown was shot uh, and killed, or it's gotten worse. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that I also pay attention to. I don't get caught up in all the excitement. I remember people were saying that there was, you know, a revolt and a revolution in Ferguson. And I'm just not, you know, willing to toss those type of words around. I'm much more, well, let's evaluate and see if things are really brought up better. Let's see if there is a tangible improvement in the quality of life of the black people living in this area. Uh, you have fewer arrests. You have uh, better treatment of the black people that are there in all areas of people activity or at minimum, since people are focusing on the police with all of this, uh, you have a drop in fines, a drop in arrests, lower number of black people in greater confinement, blah, 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 whatever other metrics you want to use to make a gauge. But I'm just not willing to go uh, to throw out a term and say, yes, we had uh, a, a revolt. We had an uprising uh, in Ferguson, and at the end of the uprising, things are worse, at least according to some of the reports that I've heard, or or have not changed at all. To me, that just doesn't compute to uh, a successful revolt or uprising or whatever other words uh, people want to use uh, when they talk about all this. But at any rate, uh, if folks had anything they wanted to share uh, on that clip or, or anything that was touched on there, uh, if you had a hand up, your line should be open. Feel free. Chime in. Um, I find it fascinating that they jumped to the uh, conclusion that these were suicides in the prisons or the jail cells there um, uh, because they do that with the uh, lynchings and they immediately call these things suicide. So I find that, found that fascinating. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to say that I found it interesting um, how the gentleman spoke of the officers causing them their jobs. Um, I've noticed that uh, um, just being in the car with my husband when he was pulled over, uh, the officer, it was almost like he made it his business to take a very elongated amount of time to give him a ticket for, I believe it was uh, a crack in his windshield or something to that extent. Uh, and it took almost, 35 to 40 minutes for us to continue on with our day. And it, it was midday, so it was something that I saw the officer doing on purpose, intentionally, to um, stop us from continuing something that was probably or potentially productive. 
Um, so that was the first thing I wanted to say. And the second thing I wanted to um, mention, if that's okay, um, is that I noticed that often um, racism is looked at as a generational issue. Um, and it's something that a lot of, I hear white people um, say a lot that, you know, oh, you know, it's the older people. A lot of young white people I hear say, it's, it's not us, it's the older people. Um, but I would like to ask you guys, do you agree that if there's still teachers that are willing to teach the concepts of racism and white supremacy, then it will always be alive? Um, to my answer, uh, if I think they're teachers, well, I mean with regards to the generational aspect, I'll, I'll answer it this way. You can let me know if this is a sufficient answer to your question. I think it's, okay. it's, it's, it's so much larger than just having white teachers that are still teaching these white supremacist, white terrorist concepts. It's that I have seen no evidence, whether we're talking about uh, geriatric white folks, whether we're talking about millennial whites, I've seen no evidence that any group of white people, I wouldn't care if we're talking 20 year olds, 80 year olds, that they are sincerely interested in discontinuing the practice of racism. There are way too many instances uh, worldwide of racism being practiced. And it's not Donald Sterling. It's not Paula Dean. Uh, it's not, you know, Ted Nugent or one of these crotchety old white people that's about to die and people can just oh yeah that's you know this is just an old person and they don't know any better or that's just how they were raised and blah blah no uh someone just put on my facebook page there was a some high school contest or what have you and the white people in the stands had signs that said white power now these are not 80 year old white people the incident that we were talking about at that high school in south carolina south point where they uh spray painted uh happy nigger month KKK. I'm sure that that was not 80, 70, 90 year old white people. There are just way too many instances of white people that are in their teens. The incident that I bring up all the time at San Jose State that happened in 2013. These were 18, 19 year old whites uh, who took a black male and called him nigger, called him three fifths, called him fraction, locked a bike, uh, took a bike lock and harnessed it around his neck physically assaulted him. These are not old white people. So I'm of the opinion that the young white people, they are just as steadfast in their dedication, their devotion to the system of white supremacy as the old white people. They just have a different wrinkles uh, with the way that they practice, but the racism, white supremacy is still there. And if you pay attention to the news and different reports and what have you that happens, it will be confirmed on a daily basis. Uh, is that does that answer the question? Uh, yeah, thank you very much. It does, and I just wanted to um, agree with you that I believe that as a young person myself, and I'm actually being in college and dealing with a lot of um, young uh, uh, white folks who are around my age and the you know in the twenties and things like that. Um, I see it myself every day. You know, the holding the seats and you know putting their coats in the front of the room so that you know they can so-called hold seats for their, you know, white colleagues. And, you know, they, they go as far as, you know, taking up the whole entire front row of the classroom. I mean, as, as you know, small as that may sound to me, I think it's a, I think it's a huge issue. Um, so I just wanted to agree that I do think that the younger people are just as um, guilty and uh, dedicated, as you said. Um, I just wanted to, my last thing to ask you, Gus, um, just because I, I, I am 
admirable to you and the rest of the listeners as a young person to know that there are other people out there who are thinking in this constructive manner because sometimes it gets a little depressing out here uh, dealing with everyday black people who are not conscious at all. Um, I just wanted to ask you, when I, when I am confronted with that type of statement, like, okay, well, it's not, it's not, it's not us as younger people who are trying to make a difference and we, we have nothing to do with that, um, do you think that there is some type of, like, general or a kind of like that one comment or retaliation to say to them to kind of put that to rest? Like, what, what do you think is a good comeback um, to that type of statement? Because I get thrown off by that. Like, I don't really know exactly how I should handle that type of situation because it's all upsetting because it's not true. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to understand, like, how do you suggest, or anybody else on the line, um, i open to suggestions to kind of understand um, how should I go about that kind of response? Um, for it would, my response would vary depending on the person mm-hmm. that I'm talking to. Like if I'm talking to a white person, mm-hmm. uh, am I talking to a non-white person? Uh, if I'm talking to a non-white person, uh, depending on how receptive they are. Um, and, and what I mean is if I'm talking to someone and they're open, like we can have a conversation, we have time, obviously that's a big factor. We have enough time that we can, you know, discuss this and I can pick out some examples and they're going to listen to what I'm saying. It's not just going to be dismissed uh, out of hand so they can get back to their point. Uh, I would just go to the news. That's something that I encourage folks. That's why I include the news clips on the Saturday program. There are so many instances uh, of racism uh, at the school level. Like that's a, the, the article that just happened today uh, where these are young white people that had these signs saying white power. Uh, I would and go to Twitter. Uh, a lot of the people that are on Twitter and social media, these are not geriatric whites. These are not folks that are on a walker and taking heart medication and what have you and, you know, about to check out. These are young white people that are on Twitter making all these racist comments about President Obama or whoever the black person that has, you know, got them all riled up for the day. These are younger white people. So I'd, I would just go to the news. I would just ask them if, if I'm talking to a black person, a victim and they're receptive, let's just go to the news. Uh, I might even just say, well, would you would you be OK if I send you some different reports uh, about racism? And you can kind of gauge for yourself if you're seeing some of these same racist attitudes in younger white people. We say younger, uh, under 20 uh, white folks. I would go, I generally go that route if I'm talking to. Uh, a black person, if I'm talking to a victim and they're receptive. And I've seen where that has been uh, successful. If I'm talking to someone who is receptive to what I have to say, they listen uh, and they're willing, you know, they have an open mind and they're willing to truthfully just process information when they get evidence to the contrary of their belief. And even worldwide, I think we had a guest on the program last year was a black female. And she said the exact same thing that you just said. She said that she had lots of hope uh, that these young white people aren't racist, like, you know, the old generation, blah, blah, blah. And I did the exact same thing. I just went through and started boom, 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 running through articles. And I even tossed in a few uh, from across the pond, things that were happening in Europe, where it was the same thing. These are whites that are in their teams that are doing all this. And she thought about it for a couple of days. And by the time we did the program, she said, unfortunately, <laughs> she sounded uh, depressed, but she said that it seems she was in error, that the young whites are, are just as racist. So that's what I would do if it's uh, if I'm talking to a victim that's receptive. If I'm talking to a white person, I would probably just ask them questions uh, about why do they think some of these things are happening uh, and list, you know, whichever example, San Jose State, blah, blah, blah. Pick out whichever current event where it's clearly showing that these young whites are still practicing racism 
uh, and or I might ask them at what point should I expect racism to no longer be a problem if this is just something that's old whites, right? If we just need to wait for Donald Sterling and Paula Dean, like at what, at what point should I expect after all of them have died, this won't be an issue anymore and see what they say. Like, can you put a year on it? Should be like 2030, 2040, 2050? We're not going to see this anymore. And just, okay, let's, let's see if that goes down because right now I see tons of uh, I see an astronomical amount of evidence that white supremacy is a massive problem, way bigger than something that we could just say that this is 80 year old white people or 70 year old white people that are causing this It's too expansive. It's in too many areas of people activity. It's worldwide. You've got to have a lot of young whites that are also deeply engaged, committed to this practice. So if I was talking to a white person, I would probably just be asking them questions uh, and then seeing what their responses are, if that makes sense. Yes, Gus, it makes perfect sense. And I, I, um, I, I recognize that that's something that, that works for you. And analyzing um, how you approach your guests, I mean, it's, it's borderline comical how you, you know, are able to, to, I mean, the white people refer to it as backing them into a corner, but I just, I look at it as, you know, getting them to a point where they can no longer hide the truth. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how you do that. And I think that that's done um, just by my analysis with uh, a lot of questions. Um, and, you know, questions and answers, like Neely Fuller said, questions and answers, everything's about that. And so, yeah, I definitely appreciate um, your input, and I definitely intend to practice um, asking questions and um, when dealing with white people to get my point across, and, and then when dealing with non-white people, you know, referring to the news and giving them um, data in that way. So I appreciate that, Gus. For sure. I guess one quick thing I would add, too, in terms of being frustrated um, in general, I would uh-huh. say especially for that one, but in general about racism, like um, that's something that I try to work on in terms of not being uh, frustrated, even talking to somebody like Mr. Kimmel today when they're interrupting and just clowning as they practice white supremacy and pretending that they don't know about Ben Tillman or uh, they can't answer your question or accuse racism is a two way street um, in, in terms of not not being surprised and not being frustrated about them doing that sort of thing, just getting to a point where I understand, or at least I claim, right, to have some understanding of racism. So I shouldn't be surprised. Really, this is the sort of thing that I should expect from whites. Mm-hmm. If white supremacy exists, this is what I should expect. And especially that generate, because that's a very popular uh, piece of rhetoric that's being pushed that, you know, we just need to wait for the old whites to, to die out and this problem will take care of itself. Uh, that's so common to hear white, to hear victims, non-white people and white people saying that, that I would really try to work at not being frustrated. So just you expect that and you already have your code about how you want to go to attack that. If you're talking to a non-white person or a white person, if you want to use the same type of response for both or however you figure it out to re- I think that can be very helpful when you can get to that point where you're not, you're not upset. You're not frustrated. It doesn't drive your blood pressure up. You can almost smile. Like you were saying, about you can make it comical, comical where I expect this and I already know how I'm going to respond and boom, boom, boom. You just start rolling with your piece of codification. I think that's, I think that's the the best way, the most efficient way to deal with it, to not let it get you all riled up. Okay, definitely. Thank you very much, guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Other folks have anything uh, on the clip that they wanted to make sure they got in or, uh, or if you had a response to uh, the female caller's question either?
Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, uh, I wanted to respond to the female's question. Uh, I know uh, Rashid may not uh, be on the line, but she routinely uh, refers to white supremacy, racism as culture, as white culture. And if you look at it that way, you, you, you get to understand that this is a uh, something that's, this is a behavioral problem that's ingrained with each and every white person. So if, so if you come across a white person that says, you know, uh, it's only the older generation that does uh, that's practice racism, but you have evidence that says uh, otherwise, you can look at it as uh, as a uh, as a culture as 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 things uh, white people do and practice every day. So instead of getting frustrated, you just see see racism, white supremacy as white culture, and you'll be able to uh, get a better understanding as to why you know these younger people are doing the same exact things as their parents, grandparents, great grandparents, and so on as uh, as they did before. And that's all I wanted to share. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Any other comments on the uh, clip and or response to uh, the female caller's question? Great. I will assume folks are good on that. I would encourage uh, just kind of keep an eye on the situation in Ferguson. Like I said, just to see how things evolve. I think that's I heard Mr. Fuller say that uh, victims, we have a short memory. And I think a lot of that is directly uh, attributable to the system of white supremacy, where they just uh, kind of keep us in a, in a state where we're not able to, to focus uh, on things and, and really study because we're just being traumatized when you're, you're subjected to uh, unending terrorism. It's very difficult to kind of sit down and make an analysis about your situation, what's happening in the world, what's happening in other parts of the world. Racists deliberately make that very difficult. Uh, but I would encourage uh, just kind of take a moment and kind of pay attention to to how things are developing there. As you don't have as many cameras, that's not getting all the headlines, that's not front page news uh, anymore. To see how that all of that is evolving, uh, to just again analyze, assess uh, what was done, what was the result. How did racists operate? Like, what was their agenda? What are some, some key things that they've done over the past six months? And then once we get to the airport, I think that would be constructive uh, and could reveal a lot about the system of white supremacy. Uh, some of the uh, other comments uh, that I didn't want to get in, uh, and I think it even came up today. Uh, the female caller that was saying these, uh, the white students, they'll come in and they'll say uh, all the, the chairs uh, that are up front. So nobody, none of the black students can come in and sit right there. Um, I think a lot of times the label that they put on that is microaggressions uh the racist suspect or he really is not on the suspect list because he is sexually sewering a black female but uh suspected racist from yesterday uh sebastian elkaby he used that term as well microaggressions i would suggest not using that term uh and the reason it is minimizing it's even the word racism is not Micro. I mean, if you want to talk about anything that is macro, nothing is more macro level than the system of white supremacy. And even yesterday I was listening because I wrote it down. He said uh, microaggressions. And then he went on. He said uh, these little things. 
Uh, in my view, nothing, I wouldn't care what it is that racists are doing, nothing about the practice of racism is little or small. If anything, in my view, that is a major pattern in terms of whites consistently minimizing, reducing the practice of white terrorism and making it that this is really not that big a problem. It might be a little small issue every now and then. Maybe it's a a small concern. They just, they do this on a constant basis. And that's something I would encourage really being mindful about. All of this should be viewed as just another facet, another component of white terrorism. Call it what it is. That's when you have people like Susan Patton say, oh, no, 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 no. It's not terrorism. We don't want you to say that. Even a lot of whites, they don't like the use of the term white supremacy. They want to get you off uh, and saying that this was a microaggression or this was racially charged or racially insensitive and all this other nonsense language. Really avoid the use of that term. I think that's just another way that they get us to not think clearly, to not think accurately and not think about what a dominant, massive force white supremacy is on a global basis. That would be one uh, one recommendation. Um, also, I got, har- I guess folks can see because it is public uh, on my Twitter feed at Until Justice. The program we did last week which, uh, with uh, Ashlyn Sullivan, right, the white female, uh, again, she would not be a suspect because uh, you're no longer a suspect. If you're having sexual intercourse with a non-white person, that is a maximum act of racist aggression. You are no longer a suspect if you're doing that, but just for the sake of not name calling uh, racist suspect, Ashlyn Sullivan, she was on the program last week. Uh, she was the one that was, uh, had a black boyfriend, uh, Ramonte Green. Uh, they were in Kansas. Uh, they were talking about all the death threats and the stuff that she got, blah, blah, blah. Uh, her black male partner, apparently his brother. And I mean, I don't know all this stuff is, is social media. So who knows? Uh, but the person is at least alleging that he is uh, her uh, quote unquote boyfriend, uh, his brother. Okay. He tweeted me and he said, uh, he asked me if I hated whites, hated white people. And I told him that I hate the system of racism, white supremacy, and that uh, if you listen to that program or any of our programs or read any of my writing, uh, I do not ever say that I hate white people. Uh, I'm not on that. Uh, it's just about constructively solving this problem as soon as possible. Uh, so I responded to his, I said that, but I made sure it was 140 characters. So he responded back and he said, uh, he said that I was racist and that I was uh, disrespectful. That was the word he used. He said I was racist and he said I was disrespectful uh, to his brother on the program uh, from last week, which I thought was interesting on many levels. He actually uh, also used a profane uh, word uh, in there in describing all this, which I thought was even more fascinating because uh, I didn't, uh, I don't, I don't think we used any profanity, right? Like myself or any of the folks that called in to participate in that program. Um, I thought, you know, we had a courteous exchange. I don't remember that being one where there was a lot of yelling or folks getting rowdy, anything like that. I said where I didn't agree. And, you know, that's that I didn't, I didn't feel like it was anything where it was really contentious uh, to compare to today's program or even yesterday's program. But uh, he was really, uh, put off, I guess, after he listened to the program. And uh, I, I thought it was important. Just number one, I think it's uh, being patient. Uh, I think it's it can definitely be difficult uh, when you're being subjected to constant terrorism to be able to keep that balance, to be able to, to stay patient. And that's why every program we end, be patient with other black people. I say that all the time. 
Uh, be patient with other black people because I think it, uh, I'm talking about myself, not anybody else. It can be very easy uh, when you get something like that or just dealing with other uh, victims that are not as informed about racism or just have a different perspective on racism and they don't think they don't think whites are that bad. They don't think racism is that big a, a deal. It can be difficult uh, to be patient with them and to not lash out at them. Uh, that could have easily, you know, spiraled into, well, you know, whatever to you and name calling and cursing back at him. And I didn't do all that. I did ask him what his definition of racist uh, was on Twitter. But other than that, I didn't, you know, try to make it into any, we're going to go back and forth and yeah, I'll just, you know, keep it, keep it courteous, keep it short, <laughs> ask a question. If he's willing to answer, that's fine. If not, we can keep it pushing as well. But it, it also just for me reinforced these tragic arrangements when white people have sexual intercourse with non-white people, it's not just debilitating for the person, the direct victim that's in these uh, tragic arrangements, it has a huge impact on all of the non-white people that are observing this interaction, even strangers, uh, strangers that see this article online, strangers, if they're in the town, so you see these people walking uh, down the sidewalk or out having dinner, what have you, that goes into the brain computer. And that is just another aspect of the contamination where that goes into your thinking. The female called and said, oh, see, Young people are not into all this. See that? And you'll hear that when you talk to people about racism, you'll hear that. Oh, man, racism is going way down. You got all these white girls. They're running around with black guys or all these white guys. They want to be hooked up with a black female. Didn't you see scandal? Yeah, that's you know, that's oh, you got look at how many white people love scandal and watch that every week and all the other TV shows and what have you that promote that. It has a huge impact. And that's that's one of the fa I don't I don't hear most people talk about racism, white supremacy and talk about uh, having sexual intercourse with non-white people is another aspect of racism that doesn't come up very often. And it also does, even in those few times when it does come up those times, it doesn't come up the impact that this has on other victims thinking uh, and confusing them about what it means to be white, confusing them about racism. So that tweet just reminded me that is another reason that's something else to be uh, just mindful of. I know Mr. Fuller has talked about that before on the program, how this impacts other victims who are seeing this. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Uh, Niana Rasayan, uh, one of our favorites, he talked about that. I think the very first time he was on the program that he talked about that, just the optics of other people seeing this. Uh, and it just really throwing them off track about being accurate and logical about the system of racism. And it was a lot of emotion, too. That's it. It just throws people off. We really want to just get to being logical, being businesslike in the way that we go about dealing with this problem. That sex thing and all that. The guy yesterday was saying the same thing. Get you off and all this being emotions and how I feel about things and all that. Not that emotions aren't important, but really, once we're dealing with racism, white supremacy, you really want to make sure you do a good job managing your emotions and really making sure you're being logical in the way that you process things to make sense. A lot of times when we get emotional we're not as logical. We don't make the best decisions. We don't process things in an accurate manner. So I just thought that was important. Folks can, if you want to check out the Twitter, uh, Twitter feed yourself at until justice, you can see, uh, what he had to say. And like I said, I would <laughs> encourage folks that, that that sort of thing happens. If it, if it gets to the point where it's profanity and that sort of thing, you don't think people are being courteous. Um, you know, you can minimize contact. You don't have to get into a whole lot of chatting and, and do it up. You can just, Hey, this is, this is not courteous. I don't do a whole lot of cursing when I talk about racism. So I'm going to minimize contact so we don't have conflict. And I, I would add that in as well. That's one of the reasons I try to keep the program G rated. I would recommend if you're going to talk about racism to not curse, 
because it's already a volatile and explosive subject matter. Uh, it's been my experience when people start getting loose with their cursing and profanity. It doesn't take much to nudge things where either someone gets upset or someone feels that they have been talked to in a discourteous manner when the profanity is already there. So that's one thing I encourage, even if even if I'm not on the air, I'm not perfect. I don't always do it. But that is a part of my code that I really make an effort to stick to is to not curse if I'm talking about racism, just because the reason being I'm really trying to make sure that I'm I'm being courteous when I'm talking, particularly if I'm talking to another black person, that I'm being courteous and I'm really trying to do everything I can to make sure that this is not going to be something that gets unnecessarily uh, volatile, unnecessarily uh, riled up to make the discussion uh, any more tense than it needs to be. You're already talking about the most explosive thing you can talk about on the planet, in my opinion. Uh, so I try to do things that I can to, to minimize the likelihood of that getting uh, kind of out of control, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, anywho, uh, folks have anything else? Doesn't have to be related to that. If you had anything else you wanted to uh, touch on, feel free. May I ask you a question, Gus? Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to ask, you said um, you said your, your, your writings. Uh, forgive me. Um, what, what writing do you have that I could read? Uh, my blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Uh, it's up, should be linked, I think, in the program, maybe. I'll put it on my Facebook, but racism-notes.blogspot.com, uh, where my blog is. Uh, you can check it out. I think I have two posts from this month, uh, three thus far this year, and you can go back in archives. Uh, and then I'm also writing for Atlanta Black Star now as well. I uh, just had uh, my first piece published there oh, on Sunday, and I think that's linked as well. So you can check those two sites for things that I have written. And so, um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need a face. I don't have like any social networking. So I write. Would that be a problem with me viewing your blo- your blogs? Or no, ma'am, you don't. I don't have like a Facebook. I don't have a Twitter or anything. Outstanding. <laughs> I will okay. commend you on that. I think Thomas in New York would give you a high five. That's great. Um, no, you don't need a Facebook or any social media account. You can just put that address in racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. It'll pop up. You can read it, access whatever you want to there. And then Atlanta Black Star, obviously, you don't need social media to check that out as well. But yeah, outstanding. I would I would not have any of that stuff either if I was not doing the program. I just use it for promotional purposes. But that is fantastic. Right. Thank you. Oh, and he didn't even answer the question. The person, if this is indeed his brother, I don't know. Like I said, it's social media people. You know, it's it's very easy to get on and claim whatever and put up a picture of a black person. But uh, when I asked him, he said, nah, you're racist. Uh, the interview that you did with my brother and his girl was disrespectful as profanity. I asked him, what is your definition for racist? And he said, there are many forms of racism. Your actions on that interview was one. Didn't answer the question. That, that for, That's when I, when I talk about, is the person receptive? Uh, if I ask a question and they don't answer the question, now that to me would kind of lend me to think that this person might not be receptive. They're cursing. They're not answering questions. This person might not, at least right now, maybe down the road, they might be more willing to talk about this and think about it and all that. And I was even thinking that might be about all I'm going to say is, you know, well, that's the way you felt. I'm not going to apologize, but that's the way you felt. Perhaps, you know, you'll study and think about this a bit more and maybe down the road you'll reconsider your viewpoint. That might be about all I have to say. Keep it moving. He's another black person. Ostensibly, this is another black person that I'm talking to. I wish him the best and just keep it moving. But that's just in keeping confidence. On the phone. Giving up some uh, background noise as well. Right on. 
folks have anything else? If uh, if not, then that's great too. <laughs> folks didn't have anything else they wanted to touch on. Sorry, first. I just wanted to comment on the. Um, actually, when I first started with the company and that we did had this, this um, diversity program called. Um, I know where the music's coming from. <laughs> wow, we are picking up, getting tunes in the background Hello? as well. Okay, we can. Okay. It, anyway, it was this black gentleman, and let me see, his name is Stephen Young, and it's called Micro Inequities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he went into a lot of things we were talking about, but he went into it, you know, like supposedly training people how not to treat each other. Well, the people, you know, especially the management that I work with, they took it and went, you know, left. They got, they, they were worse after the training, <laughs> you know, and I say deliberately so than they were, you know, before the training. And I just never wrote him. I could write him, okay, so once you train these people, now how do we, you know, counteract all this nonsense, you know, as far as, like, like you're in a meeting, they ignore you, they uh, turn their back to you, all, all kinds of stuff. But but it was, uh, you know, that was about, I don't, I don't remember how many years ago that they did that. And then the um, second thing I had to add, you know, those teens that they just, um, convicted of running over the um, black man in Mississippi. Oh, yes. James Craig Anderson. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's what they did for fun on the weekend. You know, the one guy admitted he had done it over 10 times and, you know, it was no big deal. The only reason they caught them is because there was a video. Because they, so they'd probably still be doing it. But they, but that was what, you know, and they call them teens. So that's what they did for fun. Another so, example, right so, there. Uh, you know, a lot of racism. It's very sad. Yeah, very, very, very sad. That this world that we live in sometimes. So, but hopefully, you know, and 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 I, and I want to thank you. Yeah, I know I keep doing this because I was I I can't believe how ignorant I've been <laughs> my whole whole life. And uh, you know, just clueless. Even sitting through that so-called micro inequities program and then watching them go act crazy, I it's still didn't really quit that, you know, it could have been, it could be any deliberate act. It's like, oh, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't know any better. And they, you know, even if you try to like point it out to them, it's not like they would just, you know, they look at you like, you know, almost like wanting to call me racist. Right. But, uh, but it wouldn't stop them. So, so in the last, what, I think I've been listening six months. (laughs) I've learned so much. And I, so I try to tell everybody, but like you said, not everybody is ready or receptive. So. But I uh, thank you again. I will move, move by line. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Yep, that is another great example because that got a lot of national attention. James Craig Anderson down in Mississippi. And that was a whole gang of white teens and white males and white females. That's a fantastic illustration because a lot of times we talk about racism we leave white women out of the equation and they are an integral aspect of this system of terrorism and that was a situation where you had white men and white women or teen white teens males and females who participated in beating and killing and celebrating as you said having fun killing a black person uh so absolutely fantastic illustration and that's another one that you can anybody who says that this is just old white people there you go Uh, was there some? I thought I heard uh, another caller as well who had uh, something they were, wanted to share. 
Yes, I had one quick thing, Gus. Um, the the gentleman who tweeted you that was about the show with Mr. Green. Well, uh, yes, he was on Ashlyn Sullivan. I think that was the person's name that I had. But yes, uh, sir, Ashlyn Sullivan and uh, Ramonte Green uh, is the victim's name, the black male. Now, it's funny he would reach out to you. But during the show, I think you pointed out that uh, she she admitted that her picture with her, her boyfriend was on Stormfront and um, Chimp Out. Yep. <laughs> and they were all types of things being quoted about them that were real derogatory. But he'll reach out to you. I'm sure he didn't reach out to Stormfront. <laughs> That's all I had to say. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yes, she said, said that they got death threats. We, I can hear you, sir. She said that they got death threats uh, in the whole nine. And I don't think any of that happened. I don't think anybody in this program threatened uh, violence against them or even cursed at them. As I said, that excellent, excellent point. Well, we can hear you, sir. Did you have something you wanted to get in as well? Yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, people, like people that are receptive. Uh, just uh, this past. Uh, so-called Christmas holiday, uh, my sister came into town, and uh, she, uh, we, we were talking, we were discussing stuff, and come to find out that she, because of uh, Michael Brown and all of what's happening in Ferguson, she got uh, more interested in understanding what racism is. So, you know, I have books and stuff, and I referred her to the uh, program, and she also attends uh, Texas A&M, with uh, Dr. Tommy Curry, so I uh, told her about him, and uh, I was just uh, glad and happy that, you know, a member of my family was interested in learning about racism and being serious about it, so uh, I just wanted to uh, get that in. Awesome, awesome, that, and that's what I mean, that's when it works the best when you don't try to force it on people and cram it down their throat and you're going to listen to Dr. Curry right now. You're going to listen. You're going to read Amos. Well, it doesn't, I've just found where it generally is not very efficient to go that route. You want to wait until the person says, Hey, this is something that I want to hear more about that. Can you share some information? This is something that I want to learn about. And that's when you will generally have their undivided attention and you can make some progress. So that is outstanding. Uh, I would say if it's a black person, 10 times out of nine, and I say it that way deliberately, 10 times out of nine, if they're a black person, at some point, sooner or later, racism is going to be a problem. Racism is going to be something that they want to talk about. Just be prepared for when that time comes. Have your flash drive ready with information or if it's books that you want to recommend, films that you want to recommend, YouTube videos, whatever. Whatever resources, have it ready to roll because more than likely you will get your opportunities to share. Yeah, and the thing about it was, uh, two years prior, she decided to uh, uh, have her hair go natural. Mm-hmm. And what set it off was that she uh, was in a hair salon, and this wasn't her no, uh, regular hairstylist. Uh, and she, and the hairstylist hair asked her, you know, what what kind of perm do you use? And it was right there and there she realized, you know. She didn't know what was put, what she was putting in her hair, so she just decided, you know, I'm gonna slowly cut off all my uh, chemically uh, mutilated hair and uh, return back to natural. And I think that was uh, like the catalyst to uh, help her to understand what racism is. 
And also, she went to a uh, HBCU in North Carolina, and now she's in Texas A&M for her graduate studies. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, she's being receptive, and, you know, hopefully she'll be able to uh, learn more. Ashe, Ashe, absolutely. That's fabulous, the hair thing, and even that right there. Somebody, oh, was that? Hi. Yes, ma'am. Oh, maybe she was talking to somebody else. Um, yeah, that and even that, Can it I seems. Speak? Oh, I, I thought, yes, ma'am, go right ahead. Can I speak? Yes, ma'am. Hello? We can hear you. Yes, I'm sorry. I never know when I'm able to speak to it. Okay, okay thank you. Um, yeah, the, the guy who wrote that letter to you, when I first heard the program, with all due respect, it took me back. <laughs> the first program I heard, guys, I was like, what is this? But you know what happened when you um, read the definition? You asked me what was my definition of racism. And I think it was just what the, the guy who we just interviewed, who got in her interview, was his definition. It was more of, uh, oh, he's being racist to me and not fully understanding, you know, what it really was. And, I'm, of course, I'm still in the learning stage, too. But when you presented your definition, I understood it like it clicked. It was like, okay, I, I get it now. I get it. I get it. So when you have these guests and you start to point out different things, I can see. So it really is, and I have to give that guy credit yesterday. He said that we need to, we all need to learn. We really do need to be educated because when you talk about white supremacy, it's true. Most black people think, oh, it's Chicago. It's the Ku Klux Klan. They think of that and that nature. That just tells us that's the way, I guess, the way we're taught. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a learning process. So, as you say, you're very good. Don't think so. Uh, you say, you know, be patient, be patient. You know, thank you. Oh, for sure. I just I just want to get a, a quick point in the guest from yesterday, Sebastian Elkaby. Now, he did say that in terms of learn, I'm getting some background. If folks are on speakerphone, if you could turn that off, because uh, we just pick up a lot of distortion. Um, but yeah, the guest from yesterday, Sebastian Elkaby, he did say that we all need to learn. I'm of the opinion that that's not true. White people do not need to learn about racism. They already got Ph.D. doctorate. In race, they wrote literally and figuratively, they wrote the book on racism. The problem is not that white people need to study this. The problem is that we victims don't know enough about racism. We victims don't know enough about what it means to be white and how that's going to help us solve this problem of white supremacy. So I just I think that's an important point of clarification because he said that a lot yesterday. And I think uh, one of our female callers who's with us now asked him uh, who he thought was more confused about racism. And he said white people. And I just in my view, in fact, I think whites are deliberately lying and being deceitful when they say that sort of thing. So I just that that is important. I totally agree. Black people, victims on the whole, we need to learn more about racism and it is a process. But uh, he did say yesterday that he thought white people also need to go through this process. And I just don't think that's true. I just think that's another uh, serious aspect of how racism is practiced to suggest that whites are ignorant about all of this. Um, Gus? Mm, yes, ma'am. Hi. I don't know if you brought the um, incident up uh, on the compensatory call last week, but in light of the killings of the three Muslim students in North Carolina, 
Um, and um, do you know if, well, not do you know, but do you think that those killings were motivated by, were racially motivated or motivated by religion? Uh, because I was reading an article that one of the victims, uh, she had said to her father that the, the guy that, you know, before he killed them, that um, she felt very threatened by him and that he, he uh, didn't like the way they looked. And I don't know, maybe it was because of the heat drop to the women or whatever. But I just wanted to, uh, I, I found that interesting that when I, when I read the headline, you know, Muslim, three Muslim students killed, I, I find it very interesting whenever Arabs are, are killed in this country or maybe I, overseas, they always use the term Muslim, but they never bring out the term Arab, which kind of denotes the quote-unquote race or ethnicity. So I just wanted to get your, your, your view if you felt it was racially or, or uh, motiv racially motivated or motivated by their religion. Um, I, I definitely think it was uh, an act of white terrorism. Uh, again, I have taken the position that mm -hmm. the number one religion on the planet is the religion of white supremacy. Uh, and that's what I think uh, Craig Stephen Hicks, uh, if I got his name correct, the perpetrator in this instance, uh, I think that's what he was doing. Uh, I think the, the new I think I did include a segment this past weekend on the Saturday program, the compensatory call in where. Uh, it was a friend of one of the victims where she was saying or they were reporting that uh, he had threatened them before. Uh, I think one of the their friends was at their residence for dinner and he had come over with a weapon, had a gun on uh, and said that they were being loud or, you know, whatever the case may be. And that he wasn't going to keep having this issue, as I said, with a firearm uh, on his person at the time. So I absolutely think this was this is how whites view non-white people. These are folks that can be killed terrorized, maimed, whatever the case may be. I don't think, uh, I don't think this would have happened uh, if these had been three uh, white students. I, I definitely think this, this was an act of racism and many of the reports, the language that they've been using is hate crime. Uh, and I don't, I don't use that term. I don't think that's accurate. I think they should just call it what it mm -hmm. is. White tan. That's another one. They haven't been, they haven't been saying terrorism at all. They'll say that this is might be a hate crime. And they'll just say that this was a shooting, an unfortunate shooting in Chapel Hill or the Chapel Hill shooting. That was the hashtag. If you contrast that with the incident that's happening in Denmark right now, immediately, this is an act of terrorism immediately. No questions asked. We don't have to get into a whole lot. Terrorism. Boom, boom, boom. Which is the exact same I said with, uh, said with Susan Patton, uh, where whites do not label when these whites go out and kill and shoot up and do all this other, uh, these other barbaric acts. It doesn't get labeled as terrorism. So absolutely. I think it was an act of white terrorism. We should, this is an event we should be labeling as terrorism. Uh, and I think they were talking about it on, uh, they talked about it on Democracy Now! Yesterday, they had uh, one of the black members of the local uh, North Carolina chapter of NAACP, mm -hmm. and he linked the Lennon Lacey uh, hanging death uh, from last summer. He linked that with this shooting incident and, and putting it all together. I just wish he had used the term white supremacy or racism, but uh, I got the point. I <laughs> got what he was, he was articulating, but I absolutely think it was white supremacy. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to add something to to that. Uh, yes, were you able to watch the CNN interview with the fathers on Friday with Aaron Barnett? Uh, I did not, and I'm missing the CNN had a segment on Malcolm X right now that I also missed. But no, I didn't. I didn't get to see either one. 
Okay, I, I was able to catch the, I was able to catch a little bit of it, and one of the interesting things about that interview was that the father of the two females said that the uh, husband, uh, the man that was shot, mm. that he said that he could probably, he didn't, he, he was the original uh, renter of the apartment and that he didn't have any problems with the uh, killer, white killer, and that uh, it wasn't until he had his girlfriend and eventually became his wife come over and that, um, that the white, that the male could have passed as a uh, white male and that, you know, if he didn't, if he was just wearing regular clothes, regular American clothes, or um, just looking at him, you keep, uh, he looks like a white person as opposed to the two females that if you look at him, uh, uh, look at their faces or look at what they were wearing, that they were not white. So I thought that was interesting as well. Did the family member say specifically that, uh, this the male victim in this case that uh, before he got married that he could be accepted as a white person or he could pass as a white person out of his race. He said that explicitly. Yes, yes, wow. uh, that was just the father of the two females. Oh, okay, the father because he had so. both of the fathers there, mm. but the father of the two females said that. Wow, because right. he said that. Uh, he didn't have any problems with the uh, white killer. So it wasn't until he had his girlfriend, which became his wife, and he had other uh, people other people that probably wore uh, hijabs or something like that. It wasn't yeah, until so then that, they, that the white killer had a problem with him. Wow. And, and also I saw in that, in, in that segment that he had other non-white people there that talked about how much of a problem he was. And from, from that uh, segment, I concluded that this guy was probably a terrorist. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I did. Go. Oh, did you have more? He, he kept, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. He kept, he kept, uh, he kept, uh, bothering, uh, the people that live in that complex, the apartment complex about their parking spaces. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the the, the uh, managers of the apartment, the managers of the apartment, uh, arranged so that the white killer had his car right next to the female that was killed, the uh, wife that was killed. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that interview, but I had heard uh, I didn't hear the the, the part about uh, the male uh, victim in this case that he didn't have a problem uh, with Craig Stephen Hicks prior to him marrying someone who I guess whites would not accept as a white person. I didn't hear that part. But in terms of him uh, terrorizing the other residents in that area. And that's another that's what I mean about the microaggressions and all of this. I had seen that same pattern where they were trying to minimize exactly what you said. He was terrorizing these other residents. And I, I encourage folks to think about it in this manner on a consistent basis. The behaviors that he was engaged in going to harass uh, and terrorize other residents because of a parking dispute. If you think if this had been a black male or a black female and she would or he or she would have been able to, to take a firearm and go and gripe and complain and fuss and I'm not going to tolerate this blah, 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 blah. And whites would have tolerated that. 
I don't think so uh, at all. I think this situation would have played out totally differently. Uh, and if he had done this, I think they'd be talking about this situation in a completely different manner. But I absolutely everything you said just confirmed. Yes, I think this was an act of racism. And that's the way that we should be talking about this. And I'm not I'm not surprised at all if they thought the male uh, victim in this case, if this was somebody that, you know, could pass as a white person or if he was, in fact, a white person. And then once he married a non-white person, uh oh, you're a nigger lover and, and whatever else. And, you know, that's the way it goes. That does not surprise me at all. Right, and uh, just real quickly, that uh, he was even banned from calling the tow truck company because he called the tow truck company to tow the people's cars so often that they recognized his number and they felt the call to uh, ignore him and even ban him from calling. Wow. Wow. Um, I have a question about this. Too. Um, for some reason, they seem to be framing it around the parking dispute, which makes no sense to me. Why would it be better to kill three people over a parking uh, space than it is over racism or, or whatever, Islamophobia? Why, why is that so important to them? That's a good point. I think at the end of the day, whites look at it like they just killed a couple of savages, you know. I mean, we, we read the book, um, and um, they had no regard for the Arab people. And um, um, I could imagine in the South, I mean, being an Arab, forget about it. I mean, is that where Chris Cowell was from? Texas. But why label it, uh, you know, they're arguing over Twitter all the since this happened about, no, it's the parking, it was over the parking spaces. It was like, are you serious? That makes it okay? I don't understand. They feel better, for some reason, they feel better labeling it over the parking space, but I, I don't understand why. I think it's... Does it. anyone know their country of origin? Oh, sorry. Mm -mm, go ahead. Uh, does anyone know the country of origin of the victims? I don't know. I don't know for sure. Okay. I'll check as we're as we're rolling. See if I can find that information online. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I think for the system, I think it's very important uh, that they not name racism. Uh, I think that's cons as consistently as possible, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what it is. You don't want to call out what exactly is happening. That's that is one of the principal aspects of how racism, white supremacy operates to not call things by their proper name. So, no, this is not about racism. This is a dispute about parking tickets. And I, I've seen this happen on a regular basis where it can be uh, any sort of incident where people saw exactly what I just did this evening. Oh, you're playing the race card. This has nothing to do with race. This is just about, you know, whatever, whatever they, they want to make it about. So yeah, this was about uh, a parking dispute. This wasn't about racism. They just, you know, had uh, a grievance uh, with fellow neighbors uh, that just didn't get along, which as you said, I mean, that doesn't make it better in my mind. That doesn't even explain it. I mean, really? Like that sounds reasonable to you that this person uh, went and killed three people over a parking spot. 
Like, come on. And do I think this would have happened if all three of these people had been white? Do I think that this this parking dispute would have resulted in three white people being killed? And I tend to think no. That's the same thing that I heard a lot of whites saying about Michael Brown. This had nothing to do with racism. Why are you bringing race into it? That had nothing to do with it. They that's a, pr- a pretty consistent pattern uh, in trying to make sure that we're not indicting whites for their incorrect and terroristic behavior. Uh, make it anything else. It doesn't matter. Even if it if it doesn't make sense, it's, as the female caller, in my opinion, I agree with. Uh, it wouldn't even make sense to just try and say that, oh, this is just this is just a parking dispute. This has nothing to do with racism. Can I ask a question? Yes, ma'am. Um, it's actually directed to um, one of the callers. I don't know if she's still um, with us. She spoke a, a little earlier about how she was uh, confused her whole life, and she was realizing uh, how she was confused about the whole uh, racism aspect in, in, until recently. So, and she said that she was listening to the program for like six months now. Um, so I had a question for her. I don't know if she's still here. With yes, I'm still here. Okay. Um, if you don't mind, ma'am, I just wanted to ask you, um, what did it take for you? Um, because it sounds to me like, you know, you kind of um, understood things as far as racism um, in your adulthood or maybe late adulthood. Um, so I wanted to know, what did it take for you um, to recognize, like to have that eye-opening uh, moment. That's a good question. Because as I think about it, there are little things. Because I know um, I was thinking when you were speaking, when I was undergrad, you know, I was at the University of Michigan, and um, we used to, you know, we had a, like a little patch where we all sit in the front of the room just to irritate the white people. We take them all the seats. <laughs> And uh, I said, okay, now it sounds like he took him back, you know. But uh, but uh, I don't know. I think maybe I think Trayvon Martin and um, Mike Brown. That's when I really it really hit me the seriousness of this. I had a, a few incidents, but it's kind of like you know, like um, Gus just said, it's easy to kind of sweep it under the rug. Because when I was um, back when I was in college, um, my boyfriend and I, he had. Um, um, a, a sports car, a firebird. And um, we're going down the street and the cops pass us and we get on the freeway and a few minutes later, it's like they had gotten off the exit and came back around and pulled us over. And, you know, because it was a sports car, he went and um, uh, he had these tickets on it, but he had paid them. They took him to jail anyway. So now I'm trying to, you know, not, you know, let his family know, his grandmother, everybody's going to throw a fit, his mother. And so, and they, they impounded the car, and I had to get a ride home. And so then I went to the jail well, the next morning. I was going to, uh, I had to go to his grandmother's house, get his stuff. He had all the receipts and everything, and take it to the courthouse. I got there at 9 o'clock in the morning, like they said, and they kept me there uh, until noon. They came and told me that they had released him overnight because the jail was too crowded. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, what? Where is he? He didn't call me. Didn't, you know, I called his mom. I called his grandmother. Nobody knew where he was. So I went back over to his grandmother's house and I was just 
you know, trying to figure out what to do. Then he called me over there. He was still at the jail. And so that scared me. I said, they could have done anything. He could have hung himself, you know, anything. And he had really, we had the receipts for those tickets he had already paid. So that kind of, you know, shook me, but I, but it didn't really wake me up. You know, I have a, a, a son, and to watch them kill these children, even though it's been going on all this time, I just never paid attention to it before. And then, um, you know, I found, you know, the Kyle's program and really, um, under, you know, get, you know, seeing things and not understanding what you're looking at. I think that that's the way, the way our culture is. They can put things right into your face, but you don't know what you're looking at, you know. I never believed that, that police didn't do anything but help you. I, you know, you hear, I've heard these stories all my life, and I, but I always dismissed them. You know, they would never just kill somebody. They must have been right. doing something. So, so I think that's what really woke me up and, you know, kind of like uh, changed my direction. I don't know where I'm going right now, what I'm doing, but, you know, because I'm still learning. But at least when I look at them, I'm not as trusting you know, and I think about all the times I've been backstabbed at, at work, overlooked for promotions, you know, all kinds of things. And now, and now instead of um, being um, my responsibility, it's the responsibility of the system of racism, white supremacy. That's why these things happen. So in a way, I, I feel like I've been set free, free of that burden. Does that make any sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And I ask because that, to me, was so powerful how you shared that, that honesty, you know, to say, you know, that you were confused for a very long time and, you know, and unaware. Um, I think that was very uh, generous of you to share that with us as the listeners because I know in my, like in my own family, I have a lot of older uh, adults who have no, not even, no desire at all whatsoever to have the conversation. I mean, I just got put out of my house this weekend for saying, you know, the word logical, you know, I, I was called a snob because I use, you know, the word logical and intellect and words like that anyway. But, um, you know, so a lot of the older people, they don't, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of this, 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 uh, not even just older people, just people who just uh, are just not as aware. There's just such a, a resistance to it. So I just wanted to know, like, what did it take for, you know, a woman like yourself to, you know, break free of that resistance and actually seek understanding. So I appreciate you sharing that answer with me. Wonderful. I'm still ready to resist this because I run my mouth too much, but... (laughs) (laughs) I have a friend, she looked at me, you know, we were talking about the Super Bowl. She had a little birthday party at her house and she used to... And I can't remember how I said it. She looked at me and was like, well... There's really, you know, no racism. Well, her son, her grandson is, um, you know, his mom is white, and her son is dating a different white girl, and it's like, you know. So I think part of it is that, you know, defensiveness. But, but you know, when I think about, you know, but she'll tell you stories. Her son played professional football for, like, four or five years, and the first thing they he did when he, you know, went to training camp was to tell him, don't trust your parents anymore. They're just going to try to take all your money. You got to let us help you manage your money, you know. Mm-hmm. I said it, you know. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sorry. I think that was just a little background noise. Okay, but but anyway, I'm just saying, you know, and in kind of in your heart, but you just don't want to face it because that's not the way we're taught from being a small child. That is not the way the world is. Like they they give you all the feedback that 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 we're you know there is no racism anymore, and they don't really they don't really tell you the truth. Uh, just a Thank quick. You. A quick FYI, I'll mute my line in case other folks uh, want to hop in. Uh, the first FYI is uh, two of the three victims in the Chapel Hill uh, shooting. And there are many I'm so proud of. Uh, that might not be the best word, but that's the best I can think of right now. The family members of the victims that have been speaking out and they have said exactly kind of what we've expressed, that they find it insulting and ridiculous and completely unacceptable to say that this is not about racism, even though they are saying hate crime, uh, to say that this is just a parking dispute or some other nonsense, that they have totally rejected it. And uh, they have even connected it to American Sniper and saying that this sort of propaganda fuels these types of attacks against non-white people. So they have been a plus, uh, in my opinion, I wish they had said racism or white supremacy, but you know, they have done a job well done in my opinion, but two of the three victims were born outside of the States. Uh, it looks like, it looks like, uh, the victim, uh, Razan Muhammad Abu Salha, uh, says she was born. Oh, this person, she was born in the United States. Uh, the other person, uh, Yusor Muhammad Abu Salah, uh, it says that she was born, uh, she immigrated to the United States. She was born in Jordan. Uh, and the other person, it does not say, at least the report I'm looking at right now, doesn't say whether they were born uh, someplace else or born in the States. Uh, just says that this was, uh, and this is Dia Shadi Barakat. I hope I'm saying their names correctly. Uh, that this person uh, is a quote unquote Syrian American of Palestinian origin. Uh, that's what it says. So. Uh, looks like at least one of the uh, one of the folks definitely says born in the United States. Uh, another person uh, born in Jordan, and the third person I'm not sure about. I guess we can do some more digging. Uh, and I just wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. Did you say you got put the female caller said you got put out of your house for using? Thank the term? you for that. Oh, for sure, for sure. The female caller. Did you say you got put out of your house for using the term logical? Yes, yes, I did say that. Wow. <laughs> And I know it sounds crazy, but uh, um, we were having a discussion. I mean, just uh, in, in a nutshell, we were having a discussion. The discussion got, I guess, too real. I mean, to say it, you know, simply. I was very honest about the topic we were discussing, and I, you know, I, I, I guess the topic we were discussing was, uh, I guess, an emotional one. Um, and I, you know, I said, okay, I understand it's emotional for you guys to have this conversation, but everything that I'm saying is logical and true. And... Um, my father proceeded to tell me, get your logical ASS out of my house, is what happened. <laughs> so, I don't know. And, I, and, that's, and that was just after a whole bunch of yelling and screaming. And, you know, and he called me and my husband snobs because we were, like, you know, trying to, you know, we were using, you know, words, you know. Um, and I, I find that with my family, uh, or the people that I'm familiar with, that they they prefer to use the connotation of a word rather than the meaning, and I think that that's um, another uh, tool that's used by the system of white supremacy is the language. 
um, because there's just so many connotations to words, and then there's like we avoid what it really means, or you know. So with all of that, I got put out. Me and my husband got put out for saying the word logical. So yeah, and I haven't spoken to them since then. So I don't even know what to do about that situation. It was a little too unreal for me. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I feel like I've heard a lot of stories like that and have even experienced some myself. <laughs> but it, I just chalk all of that is how powerful this system. And that's what I mean about we shouldn't be minimizing this and all of that because the system is responsible for those types of responses. And it just makes it so difficult to just have calm, courteous dialogue with other victims about racism and what we can do to try to solve some of our problems. It just makes it so difficult. And it's, I mean, you can almost predict that's going to happen on a regular basis. Just trying to, to, I mean, you don't have to name call anybody. You don't have to curse. You can just be presenting your view and somehow it, it gets explosive and you're being kicked out of the house. So they don't want to talk to you anymore. And that sort of thing. That's why I always stress, you know, just try to be patient and just try to do everything you can to, to keep it constructive and, and minimize, minimize the conflict. But whites have done a spectacular job in producing that sort of result on a regular basis when we try to talk about our problems. I, uh, I'm sorry to hear it. I'm not surprised. Hopefully they'll come around a little time and, and they'll, they'll uh, be receptive. But that's what white supremacy produces. Yeah, definitely. So you, you would agree that... I shouldn't approach them to have the same conversation, right? That they, I should wait until they're ready to have the conversation at this point. Amen. 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 Okay. Yes, sir. Um, uh, greetings to uh, the host, uh, listeners, and the callers, um, Gus, I had a, a quick um, question or thing I wanted to say. Uh, that this reminded me of uh, there was these videos called Hood Pranks on uh, YouTube, and it, I guess there were these, I thought they might be classified as, as white people, but there was this interview, I think it's in maybe the New York area, um, in black. Uh, Hot 9-7, I think, interview where these three guys, I think they, you know, they're not white, but they were making these videos where, you know, they go around, um, like, pestering black people, and I don't know if it's real or, you know, fake or whatever, but, you know, they go around bothering black males, and the black males respond, you know, uh, either, you know, putting their hands on them or telling them to back off or, you know, because they're obviously being provoked. And these videos have turned into like some kind of phenomenon, you know, where they, they collect all kind of uh, YouTube um, comments um, of a degrading nature about black people. And um, it was this interview where these three guys who were on these videos, they came on a, a radio station, and it was a white person and a non-white person the non-white person was asking the guy, you know, like, why do you, why do you do these videos in uh, predominantly uh, black areas? And, you know, the guy responded to him, you know, well, you know, the thing of like that, and, you know, we're just trying to have fun. You know, we, we all have areas. And 
marketing you. Okay? And the guy said that they were Palestinians. And um, they said, getting requests, you know, that's, that's what they said. They were getting requests. But see, if it's a request from who? Now, I'm thinking that, that you know, he might be um, some, you know, some white people or whatever, but uh, it, it made it very interesting how, when, you know, when people look at those videos, they may think that, oh, well, these are like, you know, some, you know, white guys, you know, trying to go out and uh, harass some black people in their ass for videos of doing that. But I just think it can, you know, cause a lot of confusion to get uh, non-white people in um, heated disputes with each other. And I just wanted to share that. That is it. I would like to check that out. That is uh, that is fascinating. If I heard that correctly, they were doing this interview and the, the white host or interviewer uh, challenged whether or not they were white uh, on the air and asking them why they're going to do these videos harassing. But And I have seen some of these videos where they go out and do these. Uh, and I definitely think that this is uh, an act of racism because it seems like this has been a big fad over the last maybe uh, three years or so, uh, maybe longer than that. But I think I first became aware of these types of videos about three years ago where they go out and, and do these quote unquote pranks uh, on black people. But that is something I'd like to hear if there's a link or if it's online or something. Yeah, I was gonna um, try to look up here, and I can uh, I'm trying to change your link or whatnot. But I know there have been, you know, definitely training videos of white people, find white, you know, going around and just to create what they call entertainment, just so they can get some some kind of YouTube. I even I think some people have done some analysis uh, of these videos where they were breaking it down and saying that they think this is just another another act of racism uh, to go out and harass all these black people. And I was even saying I think the just the projection, because some of these uh, quote unquote pranks, uh, the black people get upset and rightly so uh, they get upset that, you know, these people come in and messing with them for no reason. And they end up resorting to violence uh, and, you know, punching them or whatever and dealing with them. And I said, even even that, in my opinion, not that I think the black people did anything wrong. They're being victimized. Uh, but I think that sort of imaging, it just gets to further solidify that up. Oh, see, black people are dangerous. They're violent and we got to kill them. That's you know, we got to shoot them 137 times. We got to hang them. We got to do all the stuff that we're doing. We got to have Daniel Holtzclaw raping them because they're violent. And you never know. I think that that sort of imaging on top of everything else around those videos, I think that's why that has so much value, why they've uh, caught on so much. But, yeah, I would I would definitely want to hear that interview uh, if it's if it's available. We uh, miss anyone? Anyone else with us? Uh, have anything they wanted to uh, share uh, before uh, you're ready to wrap things up? Anything else? Folks wanted to make sure they got in. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, um, Gus, um, the, the conversation sort of shifted, but um, just to to go back, there's a um a gentleman um his name is um Lennon Honor. I don't know if you're familiar with him, and um he's a black guy. I think he's some type of normal scientist or something to that gender. But he um he makes videos and he wrote a book called the 9/11 Fear Based Mind Control Program. And according to his, for his theory in the book to work, and it's been like clockwork ever since 9-11, six weeks prior to 9-11 and the six-month anniversary, which would be March 11, there has to be an increase in terrorist media taking place. And I think that pretty much we, we, that's what we're seeing right now. And I, I believe it'll start dying down after March 11th. Um, and it's everything from the shoe bomber to the underwear bomber to the Madrid bombing. Everything takes place within that window to keep running that same program. And like I said, he's some type of mind um, doctor. So he's trying to show how the subconscious keeps bringing you right back to the day when everything happened. And, you know, so I think that's what they're running right now with all these um, terrorist attacks and, um, you know, all this media about Arabic people. Mm. And I think he'll be a good potential um, guest if you were interested. Um, I believe he he did a his most notable work was probably something called the Borg Agenda. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, he does speak about racism. He's a black male. Hmm. If it's uh, Lenin Honor, Lenin uh, Honor, if that's his name, the black male. Um, I asked him to be a, a guest on the program before. If, if we're talking about the same person, I asked him to be a guest on the program before. And he said, uh, he agreed. And then he looked and, and saw that we talk about white supremacy. And he wrote back and said that he doesn't, he doesn't talk about white supremacy. So he wouldn't be interested in speaking with us. If wow. we're talking about the same person. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, back to uh, this, this uh, rewinding and last thing, um, the gentleman said something that really struck me because I know that Black Talk Radio, you guys do a lot of work with prisoner, prison radio, uh, abolitionists, and he said something like this. He said, we live in a world where everybody has to be paid for everything. And, I mean, he would just make the perfect candidate for a person for, you know, say, you know, we shouldn't pay uh, the workers in the prison for nothing. It's like, it just sounds so racist for him to say that in reference to those gentlemen who sit at the lunch counter. Like, if you know, why should they be paid or why should we pay them? I, I just thought that was really, really something there. I mean, it was like... Wow! It's like uh, I, I wanted. I want to go to the hospital. You know. Uh, you know. I'm in the hospital, but just pay for my bills. I got my somebody rolled drove me over. You know, my car, and you know, I got my leg broken. So just pay me for the hospital bills. But don't compensate me for my pain and suffering. You know, it just was really a, a, a little a crazy statement. Thank you. <laughs> For sure. I do uh, recommend Dr. Welsing. Actually, she uh, explained it on one of her earlier visits on the program that uh, we should we should be mindful uh, when whites are doing things to practice racism, that we label it as such. Uh, we try to get away from uh, saying that it's crazy, uh, even though I mean the behavior right to a logical person looking at it. This is 
crazy. This is uh, crazy behavior, but just call it call it what it is. Indicted for what it is. This is just another act, another facet of of racism, white supremacy. So, but yeah, I, I totally agree that uh, the the no compensation or they shouldn't they shouldn't get any compensation. Uh, even though I, I you know just for full disclosure, um, the victims, uh, unless I've been misinformed, they have said the same thing that they're not really looking for any compensation. That they just you know wanted it to be recognized and all of that, and and they weren't trying to get any sort of uh, restitution uh, for the mistreatment that they endured, but that, you know, they're victims. I I suspect that that could have just been part of the white supremacy programming as well, where whites have uh, just conditioned us to think that we shouldn't be uh, compensated uh, for being mistreated, that we shouldn't be thinking that way or asking about that. Uh, They're victims. So they got VGQ obviously, but they, uh, they, they have been saying something similar to what, what he shared on the program, unless I've been misinformed. Uh, is that it? Everybody good? Anybody else have any last comment they wanted to get in before we wrap up? Grand. I will assume folks uh, are all good. We should be back. Um, I'm trying to uh, decide. <laughs> we Our six-year anniversary is on Saturday. Uh, since it is Saturday, we will already be on just because the compensatory call-in will be here before Saturday with the uh, study session on Malcolm X's autobiography this Friday. Uh, we're on Chapter 2, uh, so we'll be here Friday evening, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific uh, for folks to tune in for that. Um, but I'm trying to decide if we should at least have a moment. Uh, I'm not into celebrating and all that nonsense. Uh, I'll be ready to celebrate uh, when white supremacy ends. And I am going to uh, have a mild celebration when President Obama leaves the White House. That is going to be a joyous day for me uh, for many reasons. We've talked about that before, but I am going to probably have a a rather uh, jubilant program uh, whenever that January day comes in 2017. Uh, We're still rolling uh, to uh, express my gratitude that this is all over and we'll have a white person back uh, in the White House. They'll be getting all the blame and we can leave all of this that we have uh, that I have had to endure and everybody else for the last six years running. Um, But I do think, you know, perhaps uh, just doing something briefly to kind of pick out some of the things that have been learned and things that have stood out uh, for our six years uh, that we have uh, been on the air. I'm still uh, contemplating, uh, cause we normally don't do that sort of thing for, uh, for anniversaries, but I am pondering just to pick out a few, or maybe even to toss in a few, uh, clips, the archives, we, uh, are encroaching on 1500, uh, programs being done. So snatch out some of the archives. The content is there, uh, online, still working to get it all in chronological order. So everything will be in one feed. You can just go right through and pick out whatever you want to listen to in the order that it aired, but uh, we might do that on Thursday. Um, either way, whether we do that or no, uh, we're also working to just coordinate the time to get some of our listeners that are outside the states uh, to talk about the situation uh, in uh, Denmark, because I think that's in the same vein. Uh, Thomas in New York was talking about this, producing this fear so that whites will be justified and motivated uh, to go out and do these uh, Craig Stephen Hicks type shootings and what have you. Because uh, I think that what's happening in Denmark this past week is a is exact same vein uh, and and motive. It's 
all tied together uh, and them labeling that an act of terrorism. And folks were having some discussions off the air about uh, the shooter, whether or not it's a non-white person and what are they doing with the imaging and how they're talking about that incident uh, to get some of our listeners outside the States to talk about how those, uh, how they're, what observations they have about those incidents and what they're seeing in terms of how whites are responding to those incidents as it relates to white supremacy, because they have some interesting insights. So we'll try and coordinate that. Obviously, when we have guests on that are outside the States, it uh, throws our normal programming time off. We end up broadcasting a lot earlier in the day. So if you can tune in while you're on the plantation or, you know, whatever you're doing earlier in the day, uh, that'll be cool. If not, the archives will be there. But we are trying to get that nailed down uh, sometime over the next uh, seven days or so. But uh, just check. You can check the Facebook group page. Uh, you can check the Black Talk Radio Network page. Uh, I normally tweet as well for all the programs. Just be on the lookout if we're going to do our Thursday kind of uh, anniversary review program, I guess it would be called uh, for Thursday. Uh, obviously, as I said, the book session on Friday, compensatory call in on Saturday. Uh, if you get confused, have questions, gripes, complaints, feel free to drop an email until justice at Gmail dot com. Uh, no crazy spellings, just like it's supposed to be until justice at Gmail Dot com. Uh, we're on Twitter as well at until justice. Uh, if you uh, if you follow on Twitter and you decide you want to engage uh, with uh, Mr. Green's brother, uh, reportedly his brother, uh, just be courteous. If you uh, want to ask him any questions or what have you, if you look at that exchange. But, uh, you know, he's a victim. BG, I, I will presume that he is a victim if that is who he says he is. Uh, victim of racism, wishing the best. Hopefully he'll get some clarity and hopefully he won't make the same mistake of being in any sort of sexual arrangement with a white person. In fact, if that isn't brother, that might be one question that I would ask him. I'll have to even think about that to maybe see if he'd be down to come on the program to explain what he thought was discourteous uh, or disrespectful because that was a term he used about our uh, program, our broadcast with them and to see what his understanding of racism is. I'll have to, I'll ponder on that in the meantime as well. Uh, anyway, grand to hear from everyone. Uh, thanks for participating. I hope it was a constructive e uh, investment of your Tuesday evening. Uh, I did want to gloat about the weather. It has been so spectacular in Seattle. Uh, we have been having like 60 degree days every day. Like It's been so nice. Like it's not even remarkable anymore. Like, oh, it was 60 degrees today. Um, and I saw that they were having like all this nasty weather on the East Coast and record cold. It's supposed to be like in the uh, below zero in the New York area. And even uh, our guest racist suspect, Mr. Kimmel, he said that they had a big ice storm in South Carolina. Like it was incredible here today. Again, uh, 60 degrees, sunny, beautiful day. It's like winter is, is already on the way out. It is moving right along into spring. It is uh, spectacular. Again, I can do my pitch. If you want to come to visit briefly, uh, come to the Pacific Northwest. Great weather, no snow, wonderful. And it only gets better once the summertime gets around. Uh, I'm so thankful. This is what global warming, as they call it, uh, is going to produce. I'm going to buy styrofoam right now because I love it, love it, love it. I'm so glad it's not gloomy and rainy and all the other stuff that we normally get uh, up here during this time of the year. But it has been grand. Uh, I'm so thankful. Uh, <laughs> wish it was still sunny right now. Anywho, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back. Remain codified. Again, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. One of the worst possible mistakes you can make to be behind the wheel 
under the influence, driver, passenger, it doesn't matter. Uh, I would say you really want to make sure that you are super mindful. Uh, if you're going to consume any intoxicants, really try to make sure that you're not going to have to be in contact with whites, certainly not consuming any intoxicants with whites uh, or even victims where things could get out of control and just cause problems. Uh, that's one thing that we have some control over. Uh, I think it would be in our best interest uh, to really maximize and make sure that we are constantly uh, in a position where we can make the best decisions uh, to preserve our black lives, our family, ourselves, uh, and not get ourselves wrapped up in any unnecessary problems uh, under conditions of white supremacy. Sobriety would be best. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to consistently demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect in all areas of people activity each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. I'm a victim, brother. A victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.